Hey everyone, uh, it's Skeletoni here. Um, before we get started with the show, I um, want to talk about something that uh, we didn't get to cover on the show. Um, after we recorded, uh, we found out that uh, Wes Craven passed away. And, you know, this came as a pretty big shock. Um, we, neither of us had any idea he was even sick. He, he, he passed away from brain cancer. Uh, I believe he was 76 years old. Um, uh, you know, next episode, we might talk about this for a little bit, but, uh, we both kind of wanted to just say, say a few words about Wes and what he, what his work had, what kind of effect it had on us, uh, as horror fans. Um, so we're kind of recording these separately, so I'll, you know, say my piece and then we'll send it over to Taylor. So, um, just, uh, want to say that, you know, I, I think I knew who Freddie was before I had even seen any of the nightmare movies. Um, kids in school, you know, talked about him like he wasn't, you know, a little less than 10 year old creation at the time. Um, for myself and the kids I knew, we didn't have the monster in the closet or under the bed. Um, you know, Freddy Krueger was our boogeyman. Um, I can remember being, you know, about six or seven years old and actually leaping about two feet onto my bed um, because I didn't want to stand close enough to the bed for Freddy to be able to reach out and grab me. Um, Wes Craven, uh, he, he created a story with Nightmare on Elm Street that really reached in and uh, attacked us where we really felt more, most safe you know, in, in our dreams. Um, and, you know, you know it, it came out a little before my time, um, but I can't honestly think of anything up to that point that had gone to that degree and created that kind of visceral fear. Fear. I mean, that, that, that special brand that he created. Um, he didn't create a, a, a universe where um, some, you know, big hulking mute in a mask chased co-eds around and, you know, an old abandoned house or a campground with some kind of crude weapon. Um, you know, Freddy had, he had panache. He had, he had style. Um, he had a, a wit and a personality about him and his, his knife glove, it was, I mean, it, it looked as delicate as it was deadly. And that was just, I, artistic in, in fashion um, Wes gave all this to us and really changed horror forever by really breaking that you know that summer camp mold um, you know later on Scream became kind of the pinnacle of horror for my generation um, you know again he broke the mold by not only creating another icon in, in Ghostface, but he started a whole new horror revolution by poking fun and, you know, satirizing the, the very genre that he helped create. Um, there were other movies like, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer um, that kind of followed that same teen scream formula, 
but it really never had that same magic that Scream had in the beginning. Um, you know, on, on the show, we've actually talked to multiple people that have said that, you know, Scream was a huge influence on me. You know, Wes Craven's one of my, you know, my, my, my influence. He's my favorite director. And, you know, who better to draw your influ- influence from? Uh, I mean, have there been any other horror directors that have been so, uh, so versatile? Uh, I mean, Nightmare, um, Hills Have Eyes, uh, Last House on the Left, The Shocker, Scream, uh, People Under the Stairs. I mean, do, do these movies really have anything in common with each other other than just having a, a, a genius in the director's chair? Um, you know, when when people would ask me who my favorite horror director was, uh, it, it seemed like I would just kind of default to Wes Craven because it seemed like that was the easiest name to remember. But thinking back, I guess it wasn't really a default. Uh, I mean, if you listen to the show regularly, you know that I'm a huge Friday the 13th nut. Um, but, I mean, Sean S. Cunningham, to me, he's not synonymous with Friday or really anything else for that matter. Um, the name Wes Craven was synonymous with horror for me. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll always remember the, the, the frights and, and, and delights, <laughs> that rhymes, um, that he gave me with his films, and uh, I'll really be eternally grateful for him, uh, for them. Um, he was a, a, a true, you know, just sounding like a, like a broken record, you know, with everybody else that's said th- something about him. He was a true master of horror. Um, so I guess I'll just say thanks for everything, Wes. Um, we're all really going to miss you. Um, rest well. And uh, now we'll, um, I'll pass it over to Taylor so he can say a few words. Hey guys, this is Taylor of Terror. Um, obviously, I never knew Wes Craven, but news of his death still hit me like a punch to the gut. It's never easy to see your heroes die, and I can honestly say that without him, I probably wouldn't be doing this show. A Nightmare on Elm Street was one of the movies that turned me from a horror movie watcher into a horror movie lover. I mean, and then when you add in The Hills Have Eyes, The People Under the Stairs, Scream, Wes Craven made some of the most influential movies of our generation. He was a legend not only in the horror genre, but in the filmmaking industry as a whole. And although he's gone, he will live on forever through his movies. Thank you, Wes. And this episode is dedicated to you. On to the show.
to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And before we get started, I want to tell you about $6 shirts. $6? $6. Good Lord, that's not a lot of money. No, sir. Uh, basically, if you're a geek and you like pop culture references, uh, then this is the place for you. Bazinga. Uh, except that one. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, go to uh, com. Check out their supply. Uh, that is the number six. Yes, the numeral. Numer- numeral. Numeral six. Numeral. Yes. Numerator. <clears throat> so, uh, welcome back, guys. Excited to have you here. Wait, did, were you done with the $6 shirts? Am I not? I don't know. Is there something else I'm supposed to say about $6 shirts? I don't know. I don't know what you said. I said that $6 I wanted shirts. to make sure that people knew that it was the number six. Yes. And then after, I don't know what was what else was said. You swim like. <laughs> your brain just turned off. <clears throat> anyway. So that's the number $6 shirts. com. Yes. So um, we've got what is probably going to be a pretty lengthy episode ahead of us. Um, it's going to be another one of those long, hard ones. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what's new with you? Uh, I'm tired as shit because I've been packing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about how you always pack the day before you move. What happened? I, I was overruled. <laughs> <laughs> you were overruled by the same amount of votes. Yeah, <laughs> you're like you're like the popular vote. Hers she's are the, worth more. Yeah, she's the electoral vote. <laughs> yeah, her votes are worth more because she has all the vagina. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that'll do it. Was that a was that David Tell? Some stand-up comedian said the women have all the power because the women have all the vaginas. <laughs> that could be any comedian, really. Um, yeah. So when when do you actually move? Monday. Monday. What you you're moving on a weekday? Yep. That sucks. I took the day off work. Uh, well. So by the time the people hear this, I will be in my new apartment. All right. All right, all right, all right. Barring some unforeseen disaster that leads me sleeping on the streets or something. Right. If you see me on the streets, just give me a quarter. <laughs> Don't give him anything. <laughs> Don't support his lifestyle. He made his cardboard box. Let him sleep in it. <laughs> um, by the way, guys, this is going to be Taylor's last episode. What? Until he gets back from... <laughs> oh. <laughs> you fucked it up. I was like, what? What's happening? What did I do? But uh, wh- Where's the wedding again? Fucking Boston, dude. Right. Well, uh, no, actually, it's in Rhode Island. Ah, uh, that's worse. <laughs> Quahog? <laughs> yes. It's in the fictional town of Quahog, Rhode Island. Cool. I've always wanted to go to a fictional town. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I've had an eventful week. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Thanks for stimulating conversation, <laughs> Dick. Um, but no, I... I heard stimulating Dick. I'll, I'm sure that's all you heard, yeah. <laughs> no, I had to go to the hospital. Um, Are you, I didn't think you were going to talk about this on the show. It's not a big deal. Tony's going to talk about his poop problems. <laughs> uh, but no, I was having like these really bad pains like an hour after I eat. Um, and... 
it just it seemed like it was just getting progressively worse. So I ended up, yeah, going to, well, not the hospital necessarily. It was urgent care. Um, and I took some x-rays and apparently I had like fluid in my intestines. He's got fluid. <laughs> um, and like the doctor said, that's usually like associated with really bad constipation. But she said it didn't look like I was constipated. Boop. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah, she really had no explanation for me. She just said it was, seemed like something that was going to go away on its own. I think it has. I'm more or less okay now. So, Except for the occasional ass ripping. Well, not so much. It wasn't. That part of it wasn't so much an issue. Well, the fact that it wasn't happening as often. Well, earlier you were like, oh. I'm sorry, my medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a lot of gas. So I take that back. You didn't say sorry. <laughs> I don't apologize for farting. It's a natural thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, more or less okay now. Then I had a lot of fun with my car earlier. Yeah, that was that was great fun. Yeah trying to drive up into Capitol Hill in a car that doesn't want to run. Great times. Great success. <laughs> um, but we made it not only to Capitol Hill, but back to Federal Way. Yeah. Uh, st- stupidest fucking reason, too. Like, I was convinced that my car was just dead. All our UK listeners right now are going, I don't know where these bloody places are. <laughs> it's okay. I hope that wasn't offensive. Your accent? or Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, like, it seemed like it just ended up being the air hose that had come off the intake. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, I would have found it eventually. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, put it back on. Car started up fine and got home fine. So something that stupid was just irritating. I was yeah. ready to just ride off my car. but Yeah, me and your wife were, were trailing behind you, and we were, we were just waiting. <laughs> We're like, all of a sudden, it's just going to stall, and we're going to crash into the back of him. <laughs> or we're going to hit the brakes, because we know it's coming, and then someone's going to slam into the back of us. That would have been fucked up. Hell the fucked up. But we made it, and now we're recording the show very late. Yes. So we're going to try and get through this as quickly as possible, so you can get home. Yes. Uh, but we have a very long interview ahead of us. Yes, very lengthy, but very good interview. With the creator of 20 Seconds to Live, Ben Rock. Yeah. And, and I mean, like I said, it's super long. It's probably close to an hour. Uh, but, like, I don't want to cut any of it out because it was good stuff. Yeah. Um, but, anyway. And we didn't have to do anything. No. We, we barely talked. We just put a microphone in front of him and said, go. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, um, let's just do horror business. Okay. Okay, start out with we do some uh, real life horror. True story. God damn it. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I, I knew it was coming, but. I tried to find the sound clip and I couldn't. Good. I couldn't figure out which season it was from. <laughs> um, yeah, some real world horror. Uh, some creepy things going on in North Carolina. Dude, this is like fucking Night Vale shit. Right? Um. So in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, well, Charlotte area, there's this apartment complex, and there has been a person, don't know if it's a man or a woman, 
How do we know it's not multiple people? (laughs) No one can see you. (laughs) I put my finger on my nose. Um, So this person or persons wearing big dark or big like black hooded coats. Did you see the pictures? Yes. Yeah. Creepy as fuck. Yeah. Uh, Cloaks all the way down to their feet. Yeah. Like, like, like cleric coke. Yeah. uh, Cloaks. Um, and, uh, yeah, they come to the playground at the apartment complex and just leave raw meat there. Uh, nobody knows who this person or persons are. Um, they just, just leave the raw meat and apparently it's, it's really freaking people out, man. (laughs) You think, (laughs) um, like if you check out Twitter or probably X, like any of the genre sites, I think I think most of them reported on it. Um, and uh, just look online; um, you can see the pictures that the people, the actual residents of this complex, have posted. Um, it's really fucking creepy. It's like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, like this is real life horror. <laughs> um, I find it funny that people have like stopped to take their picture, and no one has like gone outside and been like, "Hey." Stop it! Would you want to talk to that person? <laughs> well, that's... Would, would you want to know? Want them to know exactly where you live? Would where, they, like they would probably just like throw their cloak over their head and just disappear or something, like in a cloud of smoke, or turn into a crow and fly. Yeah. Away. <laughs> um, the police are investigating <laughs> um, and try to find out who this person is uh, and what their intentions may be. But it's like raw meat. What the fuck are they trying to say? <laughs> yeah, like are they trying to? Like summon a demon or something? Are they doing rituals? I don't know. It, it really just seems like something they do just to creep people out, just to be an asshole. Maybe they're like trying. Maybe they're going to bring out a tiger later and just try to lure the tiger into the playground to eat the children. Maybe that could be <laughs> what's going to happen. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, maybe we'll hear an update about this when they figure out who the hell this person is. Maybe. And we'll tell you about it if that happens. (laughs) So a second real world horror story we've got coming out of Amsterdam. Weirdest shit happens in that country. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure most of you have seen the movie Blade. Is it Blade or Blade Two that this happened? It's in? Blade. Okay, it's it actually the like one. the first like main scene. I knew that. I just I, for some reason I thought I was thinking it was Blade Two. But there is a anonymous group of organizers in Amsterdam who are planning to pl- organize a actual blood rave on Halloween night. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, if, if you haven't seen Blade... There's no interpreting that. Uh, the opening scene is this this underground rave, and at one point, the sprinklers start going off, and it's blood. And it just rains down blood on people, and they all fucking love it. Because they're vampires. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um... The the organizers claim it will be more extreme than Blade. <laughs> more extreme than Blade. Are they gonna like actually have like real vampires? Uh, maybe. 
I don't, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do, but they're, they're apparently going to use uh, 13 gallons of real blood. That doesn't seem like enough. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a blood guy. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a lot of blood. Well, one of the organizers says, after a long search, we have developed a special sprinkler system with pipes running across the ceiling and thus making us able to spray blood over the crowd. We've already tested it a number of times using a substance resembling blood. So they're just, I mean, they've used something that looks like blood. It seems to have worked, I would guess. But they're, so that means they're just using real blood to be creepy. Yeah, pretty much. My question is, what kind of blood is it? Is it human blood? I, I think, is it animals' blood? I'm pretty sure that's what I read. That it's human blood. Oh, really? Everything I saw was debating what it could be, but nobody actually had an answer. Uh, that same organizer said, of course, our visitor's safety comes first, but we are definitely exploring all possibilities to make this event as freaky as possible. I think they nailed it. I don't think it's going to get much freakier than this. <sighs> don't test them. <laughs> This is currently on Facebook. I'll go ahead and post the events link in the show notes in case you're in Amsterdam and want to get rained blood on. Yeah, that's your thing. Um, But the event already has 4,000 RSVPs, but they said they're expecting about 1,500 people. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. That same organizer went on to say it is pushing the the borders, but we want to see how far we can go. I'm almost curious how far they can go. So Fox has picked up a new uh, TV show. Um, Pretty sure it's a movie. Sorry. Yes, not Fox TV. Fox films um picked up a new film or the rights to a film uh, it's based on a graphic novel by keith giffen and cody chamberlain it's called tag uh the story centers on an everyday man who is tagged by a random stranger and returns home to make a terrifying discovery his body is decomposing before his very eyes he must figure out the origin of the curse or make the morally challenging decision to pass it on to somebody else before it overtakes his body the plot of the film is being kept under wraps, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly... I mean, they... Didn't just, I just say the they, plot? Yeah, they just gave us the, the plot. I mean, good luck keeping that under wraps. Um, it's hard to keep a plot under wraps when it's already based on something. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to change it drastically, in which case it's stupid. World War Z. Um, oh! I oh, saw, he went there! I he said went it. there! I said it! Um, plot is being kept under wraps, but it will be designed as a psychological thriller with elements of supernatural horror and focus on the female protagonist. Female. Okay. Yeah. I already changed one thing there. Yep. (laughs) Um, a good start. So this sounds like a combination of it follows and thinner. Okay. I was going to say, um, contracted. Okay. Yeah. That too. So maybe a threesome, a three-way? Yep. What is that? It's uh, something. I don't know. That is a three-legged person scissoring with a regular person. 
Oh, fuck. Okay. Tony's making weird hand signals over here. <laughs> it's going to be scripted by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski uh, and directed by John Linetti, who directed Annabelle. So Ooh. I haven't seen Annabelle. I've heard it's not that great. But, I mean... It didn't look very great. Nope. Mainly because it was based on The Conjuring, and The Conjuring sucked donkey dick. I said that as well. Oh! Oh, damn, son! I done went there. Anyway, all right. Let's are, you, are you excited about this tag, or no? Uh, maybe. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I, I think everyone's going to make the It Follows connection, and people are going to not care. Probably. Uh, I mean, you know, It Follows had such a polarizing effect on people. People either loved it or hated it. That's true. Um, so, I mean, which, you know, <clears throat> I wouldn't have thought that It Follows would have that such a such an effect on people. Uh, they would feel so strongly about it. Yeah. But, yeah. That's not a particularly deep movie. No. Or- Although I've heard people who say that it is because it's like some people think it's a metaphor for STDs. And then uh, what was I listening to? I was listening to some podcast. And they were talking about that. It's actually much deeper than that. Um, that it's actually like as when you have sex, then you start dying or something. I don't I don't think that's what the director intended at all. I, I feel like people always read too much into movies. Oh, definitely. Like, I really want George Romero to come out and just be like, consumerism. No, it's just about zombies. <laughs> fucking dead people walking. You're reading too deep. Into it. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I mean, the the big red flag for me is the Annabelle director. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. Maybe we'll end up watching it. Who knows? So, let's press on. Okay. You know what? We don't have to fly through these. Like, we, we can actually take some time to talk about it. We don't need to just be like, here's some stuff that happened. Are we not? I don't. Do you seem like you were rushing? I just want you. I don't want you to feel like you need to rush. I never rush. Tony goes at Tony's speed. <laughs> I'm taking it easy. <laughs> you see what I'm doing? You see what I'm doing right now? I'm relaxing. No, no one can see what you're doing besides me. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm relaxing. You know why? Because I'm going to be rich. <laughs> you know what rich people do? They relax. They fucking relax. So speaking of acquisitions, uh, Warner Brothers has acquired a pitch for Dante's Inferno from Dwayne Worrell who is a guy that has no credits to his name. Uh, but this is, of course, based on the Divine Tragedy, or at least a chapter from the Divine Tragedy. Divine Comedy. That's what I said. Um, Divine Tragedy is the sequel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sequel. Um, in which, of course, Dante descends through the nine circles of hell to save the woman he loves. If you are not familiar with the Divine Comedy or the Divine Tragedy, uh, then you may be familiar with a... PlayStation game that came out, what, two years ago? Longer than that, no. Uh, like 12 uh, years ago. Not not quite that long. Okay, seven years ago. 
I don't know. It came out at some point. Uh, but, you know, this sounds more like the game than the book. Because in the book, um, Dante is actually, he's just traveling through the afterlife. Uh, I mean, he goes, goes to hell, he goes to purgatory, and he goes to heaven. Um, it's not, not to save anyone. He's just trying to... He's just checking it out? Well, he was... You know, uh, the opening lines of the book is midway on my life's journey. I lost way from the straight path or something to that effect. Um, Basically meaning, you know, he's about 40 years old and he's basically lost his way. He doesn't see the point in life. He doesn't know what he's doing with his life. He doesn't know what tomorrow is going to bring or if he even cares. So there's actually a woman that he knew in his childhood who was in heaven, who kind of, he tapped, or she tapped. Yeah, he tapped that. Yeah. No, she tapped this poet, um, Virgil, who is in, he's in hell, but he's in um, probably the least depressing part of hell, (laughs) in which people, like it's uh, people that were faithful. I mean, they were good people, but they weren't baptized. Um, like me. Yeah, you. Um, I'm I'm a good guy. Whatever. (laughs) Um, so he basically chauffeurs him through hell and purgatory, uh, not through heaven. Um, anyway, so that's what that's what the Divine Comedy is about. Dante's Inferno, the video game. That's more what this is like. There. Uh, Dante's wife is taken by Lucifer into hell and he goes in to save her. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of wonder if maybe they're basing this more off the video game. Kind of sounds like it. That I mean, as much as I love the Divine Comedy, it's an amazing book, if you can find the right translation. If you find one you don't either don't understand or sounds like shit or you know, reads like shit, um, then it's not good at all. But if you find like a really good translation uh, in terms you can understand because it's translated from fucking uh, like old Italian. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's an amazing, amazing book. Um, it's written by Homer, right? Dante. Dante Aguirre. Oh. What am I thinking of? The Odyssey? That's the one. <laughs> um, but yeah, but... Dante's Inferno, the game, is an awesome game. I love that. <laughs> I love that game. So I'll be happy either way. But I think, depending on which one you go with, is going to dep- is going to really identify what kind of movie you're going to create. Right. This, that's one thing is we don't necessarily know that this is going to be a horror movie. Um, more than likely, it's going to be more of like an action adventure style, probably um, yeah. action action adventure fantasy. But I mean, the guy's going through hell. You, you've you've got plenty of chances to have some fucked up shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, like just the book. I mean, if you've got a vivid imagination, reading the book, I mean, it's intense. I mean, the really just weird, fucked up things. There are people in one of the level or one of the circles of hell um, whose heads are on backwards for eternity um, because they uh, were they were blind to the um, blind to the, the world or the people in front of them. And so they're 
damned to have their heads on backwards and, and walk. smell their own farts. Pretty much, yeah. There are people uh, who the, the suicides they are turned into trees. Oh. <laughs> There's just weird, weird shit going on. That's what I'm saying. You could have some some pretty crazy visuals in this. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think it would be a f- more fun concept if they could modernize it s- somehow. But there are so many references to, like, important, well-known people back in the 1400s. Mm. So it might be a little tough. They should cast Brian Christopher Halloran. Oh, man, I know that name. From Clerks. He plays Dante. Oh, <laughs> right. I was, you know, I was conceptualizing, like, if I were to write, like, a modernized version of Dante's Inferno, who I would cast as Dante, and for some reason, John Hamm popped into my head. Interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, I was trying to think of, like, who who could play, like, a middle-aged guy who's kind of downtrodden and you know maybe apathetic you know I mean that's not too far off base of Don Draper yeah I suppose so but again like trying to modernize that entire story that'd be real difficult anyway um, anyways yeah the, well the WB is said to be excited about the project's scale and franchise potential oh god so I I don't know what that means are they gonna make like Nine different movies out of it, or I don't one for every circle of hell, maybe. But I mean, they don't, Dante doesn't spend a whole lot of time. Oh, they can make him spend as much time as they want. Yeah. Maybe he sits down and has has a beer, goes to a cantina. Dun, 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 dun. I don't think they have cantinas in hell. Isn't it? Isn't there a song about that? Something about beers in hell. Maybe it's beers in heaven. I hope they have beer in heaven. Is that a thing? Maybe. I don't know. Well, this is going to be produced by Akiva Goldsman, who produced Constantine, I Am Legend, Jonah Hex, and the Paranormal Activity movies. So uh, that's maybe a chance that it could have some horror elements. Yeah, I mean, well, traveling through hell, it's, uh, you know, horrific in nature. So I think they'd have to probably try to not make this a horror like at least have horror elements in it. Yes, agreed. But we'll see. Thank you for that insight. Um, but I mean, either way, I'm I'm interested. I'd like to see what becomes of this. I knew you would be. That's why I put it on there. Thanks. Thanks, babe. Always looking out for you. <laughs> So the team behind Starry Eyes is working on a new project. Uh, it's going to be called Exorcism Diaries, because we need another exorcism movie. Um, oh, wait. There's, there's more. Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch rewriting, are rewriting the initial script, uh, written by Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard, who wrote Oculus. So... Widmeyer and Kolsch. Why do I know those names? Uh, because they did Starry Eyes. Oh, right. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, and they are going to direct. Um, it's based on the true story. True and, story. <laughs> is that what you're waiting for? No. No. Oh. Um, prick. Uh, <clears throat> that inspired the 1970 horror classic The Exorcist. Di- the Exorcist, comma, Diaries, tells of a young woman fresh out of rehab and looking to make amends who discovers her family's horrifying connection to the most famous exorcism of all may be the cause behind her brother's increasingly violent behavior. That was the thing I was waiting for. Is that we need another movie based on the events of The Exorcist. It's just like everybody's It doing. still doesn't sound like it's even about the actual fucking kid that got possessed. No. Um, it's her family's horrifying connection. Horrifying terror. Um, I don't. I don't need to see this. I don't need it. I don't want it. It sounds kind of bland and generic. It sounds incredibly generic. But I like Star Guys. Yeah, and and I like Oculus. We are the like the only two horror people in the world that fucking like Oculus. That's true. Um, I don't. I don't know. Man, I'm torn about this because it sounds really fucking boring. <laughs> it really does. But I guess we'll wait for a trailer or something. It's just my trouble with this. Is it sounds like any number of direct-to-video exorcism movies. Yeah. So. Uh, whatever. Fuck it. So John Carpenter is creating a new graphic novel. It's going to be titled John Carpenter's Tales for a Halloween Night. Halloween night. That's one word Halloween. with one N. Halloween night. Just a, just a wee night. Tiny night. Uh, it's described as, and I quote, the ultimate graphic novel anthology of tales to warm your toes by on a dark and stormy night in October. Okay. That's oddly specific. <laughs> right. But only read it in October. Right. And only if you're warming your toes. Right. And it has to be dark and stormy. Maybe he's drinking dark and stormies. You and your fucking dark and stormies. They're delicious. Rum and ginger beer. Like, two awful things together. No, they're delicious. Awful. Terrible. And and Moscow Mules? You ever had a Moscow Mule? I don't even know what that is. Vodka and ginger beer? I don't want anything to do with ginger beer. You're wrong. (laughs) I'm wrong. Uh, Tales for a Halloween Night will be a 100-page, full-color book... Bringing together storytellers from the world of movies, novels, and comics, telling tales of graveyards, sunken ships, creepy crawlers, and ghosts. Artists and writers include, but are not limited to, John Carpenter, Stephen Hovecki, who did Thor and the Steamworld Chronicles, Sandy King, who did John Carpenter's Asylum, Vampires, and They Live. A little nepotism there, huh? Yeah? Just a bit. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trent Olson, who did John Carpenter's Asylum. David Shaw from The Crow in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Buzz. Just Buzz. 
from Wolverine and Doctor Strange. Uh, Leonardo Manco from Hellblazer. Tony Rodriguez from Snake Plissken Chronicles and the Uncanny X-Men. And more. And more. On this exciting adventure of Tales of Halloween Night. Halloween, Halloween Night. Such a dumb name. They should have rethought that one. Just Halloween Night. Just, just, just call it what it is. Yeah. Um, it's going to be coming out this Halloween, but if you live in the Los Angeles area, you can get a sneak peek on October 17th at the Barnes and Noble at the Grove. He, John Carpenter himself will be on hand at the event and will be signing advanced copies. The Grove. The Grove. That sounds like something like, it sounds like a place like the kids at Beverly Hills 90210 would hang out. It's like, we're going to meet up at the Grove after school, guys. Like, like the Max. Yeah. Or just like, I'm envisioning like just this mall that's just called the Grove. Isn't that what it is? Maybe. Could be. I don't know. Sounds like it. Whatever. Whatever. Well, if you're in LA, go to the Grove on October 17th at 2 p.m. Go see. Meet, meet John Carpenter. Give him a kiss. Um, make sure it's not Brian Cox. Yep. Met, dressed up as uh, Mr. Uh, uh, God, I don't remember. You you know the guy. You know him. From Trick or Treat. The guy with the nose. You know, the guy. The guy. Yeah. Make sure it's not him. Make sure it's actually John Carpenter. And then make him sign your shit. But don't don't hand him, like, human shit. He probably won't like that. He won't sign it either. He probably won't sign that. Yeah. All you Castlevania fans out there might be interested to hear this. So gather around, hear a tale. Gather. Come close. Of the Castlevania animated series uh, coming around sometime soon. <laughs> uh, it's being produced by Eddie Shankar, uh, who I assume was a producer behind Dread, Machine Gun Preacher, and The Grey. Uh, so some love him or hate him movies, I guess. Um, uh, it's ba- of course based on the 1989 NES game, uh, Castlevania three. Oh, Castlevania three. Yeah. Why Castlevania three? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know what I do know? Addy Shankar. That's a fucking rock star name. <laughs> like, I feel like he should be in like foreigner or something. In foreigner. <laughs> Maybe not Foreigner. <laughs> Why? What made you pick Foreigner? I don't know. I just, I picture him in like a... I just really like Foreigner. In, I do really like Foreigner. <laughs> in, in like a 70s rock band, Foreigner was the first one that came to mind. Actually, Journey was the first one that came to mind. I was like, no, not fucking Journey. But then <laughs> I realized... It's not good enough for Journey. Foreigner, foreigner is worse, so forget everything I said. <laughs> uh, it's being animated by Frederator. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Is that a person or a company? I don't know. I've never heard of either one. Um, but I have heard of Fairly Odd Parents and Adventure Time. I don't like Adventure Time. Adventure Time is fucking stupid. I'm sorry. It is. But it is. It's, it's really fucking stupid. Um, but there was a time when Fairly Odd Parents is pretty funny. 
I know of it, but I've never watched it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've probably seen an episode or something, but I, I didn't really. It's like it it's like SpongeBob. It was really funny at first, but now it's not. Mm. Um, Eddie Shankar said, Eddie Shankar! Uh, it's going to be dark, satirical, and after a decade of propaganda, it will flip the vampire subgenre on its head. Decade of propaganda. So what, they're not going to do this for 10 years? Is that what I'm getting? I think that's a shot at Twilight. Somehow. Maybe. I got to have you not chew into the mic. I'm sorry. I'm eating dinner. It's 9 o'clock, and I'm fucking starving. Fat. Uh, he also said there will be, be a lot of gore, um, <clears throat> which is always good to hear. I mean, it's a cartoon, but whatever. Uh, the goal is to bring hard-hitting anime... Oh, fuck. Hard-hitting anime to, the, to America and be America's first animated series for adults. Uh, I'm so sick of anime. There's like this... America's first animated series for adults? Yeah, I don't... Has he not heard of The Simpsons or Family Guy? Or like, you know, all the animated series that are All of adults. Adult Swim? Yeah. Um, but anime... I'm So much animation nowadays is like this amalgamation of... Uh, like, I don't want to call it American art, but like combined with... Uh, Anime, or anime and really fucking hate it because <laughs> everybody looks so boxy and fake. And how are the animators behind Fairly Odd Parents and The Adventure Show gonna do anime? Well, it's just a matter of uh, art style. I mean, but it's not their style, clearly. No, but I mean, Odd Parents or Fairly Odd Parents and Adventure Time don't have the same artistic style. Yeah, but they're both like. The cartoony. Sure. Well, regardless, um, I don't know. I was maybe on board until I saw anime. I mean, there's certain things I like, you know, like I like Dragon Ball. Probably not as much as I did when I was a teenager, but I like Dragon Ball. I like that it's anime because it's supposed to be anime. But I don't, I don't know, whatever. I don't care. So this will come out at some point. We don't know when, but uh, may I guess we'll tell you about it when we when we hear. Maybe, yeah, you know, or we won't. I'll leave you to your own devices. Since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. It's down at the end of Lonely Street. So the newest issue of Entertainment Weekly features Lady Gaga on the cover in her American Horror Story garb (laughs) person. And in the the issue, uh, there's a lot of updates on the show from Ryan Murphy and Brad Felchuk, the creators. They... Talk about the hotel itself, which they say is built in 1930 by the rich and charming but deeply psychotic James March, who is played by Evan Peters. You know, he's one of those people that I heard was not going to be back this season. A word? Yeah. Him, Sarah Paulson, who we also know is going to be in it, and you know Jessica Lange, of course. Hmm. But I had not heard that. The only one I had heard was Jessica Lange, and I didn't believe it until it actually happened. 
well, or it didn't I mean, happen. I don't know if it's in this story, but it is. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, the beautiful Art Deco Hotel Cortez is, in actuality, a labyrinth structure built to hide March's murderous activities. Think dead ends, secret rooms, endless shafts. <laughs> endless shafts. <laughs> dicks, dicks, dicks. <laughs> um, but this is actually, you know, there were rumors of it. Before people knew what this was going to be about, they're saying, oh, you know, it could be about H.H. Holmes. And this is actually pretty reminiscent of H.H. H. Holmes, anybody that's familiar with the story of his antics. <laughs> well, last episode, we reported that it was going to be about Elisa Lamb, because that's what we had read, and apparently we were lied to. Well, I think we got a lot of people uh, reporting on this that really don't know what they're talking about. It's just a lot of speculation, until now, anyway. Right. This is straight from the horse's mouth, so... I'm going to guess this is probably true. Yep. Unless Murphy's pulling a swerve. A swerve? Yeah. All right. Uh, Murphy goes on to say, in present day, though, the Cortez is acquired by Gaga's Countess, a glamorous socialite who attends art openings and fashion shows and maintains her looks not from a steady diet of kale, but from imbibing human blood. Isn't uh, I think that might be what Lady Gaga does on the weekends. Yeah. Did you hear about her party? Yeah. Fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nothing she does will ever impress me. <laughs> I thought the blood pool was kind of a cool idea, but... Who would want to swim in it? I would. It's just red water. It's not actually blood. Yeah. It's not like a fucking Amsterdam rave. True. But Call no. back. I mean, maybe this is just for me. Uh, my skin is like a fucking sponge. So if I get, like... You'd come out and you'd be all just beat red? Yes. For days, I'd be red. That'd be pretty funny. No, it would suck. <laughs> uh, where was I? I don't know, some fucking place. The Countess uh, 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 is also insatiable when it comes to love and sex, which sets up... Dicks, a- dicks, dicks. <laughs> when it comes to endless shafts. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> Which sets up a macabre love triangle between her, the similarly blood-hungry Donovan, played by Matt Bomer, and the newly-turned male model Tristan, played by Finn Wittrock from Freak Show. You know, Matt Bomer? Oh, is that Bomer? Like the jacket? I'm, it's it's Bomer or Bomber, I'm not really sure. But he, he's, he's actually gay. I didn't know that. I don't know who he is. Uh, did you ever see... Um, Oh, shit, was that USA show? Uh, White Collar? I've never seen it, but I'm familiar. The the, the, the main guy? The guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, he also, he was in the last season. He was um, um, the commission's gay lover. <laughs> the commission. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's actually gay. Because I was wondering, you know, he plays such a, like, a suave, debonair, cool guy on, um... Mr. White, cool Guy. No. On White Collar. It's like, I wonder how he felt about playing some gay hooker, basically. <laughs> but he's actually gay, so I guess, aside from the hooker thing, it wasn't that big of a stretch for him. So I wonder how he felt about playing Mr. Cool Guy. There you go. Yeah. Food for thought. Just like Barney Stinson. 
played by Neil Patrick Harris, who was also in Freak Show. Hey! Full circle. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> also gravitizing around the world of the Cortez are Ramona Royale, played by Angela Bassett, an actress-slash-former former, actress lover of the Countess seeking revenge. Iris, played by Kathy Bates, Donovan's mother and the front desk clerk. Liz Taylor, played by Dennis O'Hare, a cross-dresser nicknamed by the Countess. Ah, uh, that's why. Hypodermic Sally, played by Sarah Paulson, who we talked about last episode, a junkie and friend of the Countess. Detective John Lowe, played by Wes Bentley, a cop investigating a murderer named the Ten Commandments Killer, and the addiction demon, a creature in the vein of Rubberman or Bloody Face, who has no eyes or mouth but does wield a nasty conical drill bit dildo. Let me read that last part again. Oh, please do. Nasty, conical, drill bit, dildo. So what are you looking forward to most? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the dildo. So, so we've got endless shafts and drill bit dildos. And as far as Jessica Lange goes, Ryan Murphy went on to say, she'll be back. She's not gone forever. I wonder if Jessica Lange knows that. Because <laughs> she seemed pretty final. To which Jessica Lange replied, fuck you. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, yeah, this, uh, the addiction demon. I have to assume that's the character in the recent in commercials. In the teaser? Yeah. It seems like it, from the description. Mm-hmm. No sight of a conical dildo. No, that is definitely not in the teaser. Right. Um, but no eyes, no mouth. What a shitty life. How do you breathe? Well, the nose, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. What does he do with the dildo? If you have to ask, you can't afford it. An <laughs> endless shaft. <laughs> so, shit, that, that's all for horror business. Um, Except for Remains. We got Remains now. Um, What We Do in the Shadows is a movie that we have not watched yet. Might do in October. Not sure. Um, The sequel has been greenlit. Uh, This is confirmed by uh, co-creator Jermaine Clement, uh, who you guys would know, obviously, from the first movie or Flight of the Concords. Um, It's currently in the planning stages. Uh, it's going to focus on Anton, the control freak werewolf played by Rice Darby. Or Reese Darby. Uh, Reese Darby's fucking hilarious. So I'm. After I watch What We Do in the Shadows, I'm looking forward to this. He was hilarious as the crocodile. Or the lizard. Spider Man. That's not Reese Darby. Who, who's that then? Um, I forget his name. Pretty sure it's Reese something. Probably. Uh, but no, Reese Darby, he's he's another Kiwi. Um, oh, okay, that guy. Yeah. I wouldn't. I couldn't think of what you might know him from, so. I don't know what I know him from either, but I recognize him. If you, if you guys don't know who he is and you if you watched um, Fly of the Concords, he's um, their manager. The guy that works at the New Zealand, New Zealand consulate. <laughs> anyway. So there's that. Look forward to that whole thing.
Sorry, I need to figure this out. Just look him up as the kicker from The Replacements. The one that sings Olay all the time. Is that the Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I thought it was the fucking Tobey Maguire. You're fucking stupid. No, you know who plays the lizard in that one? <laughs> um, fucking Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dylan Baker. <laughs> Reese if Iphens. That's the one. Uh, Elvira is returning to the small screen in a new animated series. Thank El- God. Elvira herself, Cassandra Peterson, announced this at fucking Boston Comic-Con, dude. Um, she will obviously reprise her role because if she didn't, there would be anarchy. No one else is Elvira. And uh, the, the TV show will pick up shortly after the events of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah. I, I wish it wasn't animated. I'd rather see a live action one. She's like, what, 60? Dude, have you seen her? Oh, she still looks good, no doubt. She's fucking smoking hot. I hope I look that good when I'm 60. Well, if you suddenly grow amazing tits, then uh, you you just might have a chance. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, she's fucking... She's a G-MILF. She looks good, no (laughs) doubt. Um, But yeah, I I love Elvira, so... Check this out. For sure. Um, uh, a novel based on Psycho is coming uh, next year. Uh, it's going to be called Psycho Sanitarium. Uh, it's going to be written by Chet Williamson. And it's a prequel to C- uh, Psycho 2. So um, this is basically going to be about the time that uh, Norman is, I guess, recovering in uh, the mental institution. Um uh, looking for a release date of March 1st, 2016. So uh, keep an eye out for that if, you know, Psycho's your thing. There's a new PC horror game coming out later this year called The Park. In The Park, players... Sounds scary. <laughs> uh, in The Park, the players take the role of a mother whose son goes missing in an amusement park. After hours, a dark and sinister secret is waiting to be uncovered. That will be coming this October from Funcom. Have you watched the trailer for this yet? I have not. Uh, there's really nothing to it. It's it's basically just like first person on a roller coaster, and then there's like some creepy sound effects and music and stuff. Like the whole game's on a roller coaster? No, no just the teaser is. Oh. I don't really know how the game goes. I, I mean, like I said, it's just kind of creepy visuals. There's not a whole lot going on. But the the park itself... Looks a lot like the amusement park from Left 4 Dead. Really? Yeah. Mustachio! Ha ha! Chomsky! So yeah, uh, check that out this October if you are a PC gamer. I am not. Nor am I. I can't afford to have a gaming PC. I'll make Max do it. Huh? I'll make Max get it. And I'll go over there and I'll play it. Seriously, I've talked with a guy at work before about this. PC gaming is such an expensive venture. Sure, the games are cheaper by a substantial amount, but pretty much every year or maybe every two years, you have to upgrade your equipment. Yeah. Just to keep up with the fucking games. Yeah. You upgrade your sound card and your video card and every other kind of card. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I have a PlayStation 4 and, you know, well, I still have a PlayStation 3, but um, it's like, sure, maybe graphically it's inferior to what... I what the potential could be through a 
PC. But it doesn't cost anywhere near as much money. Yeah, um, that's true. So fuck it. Fuck it! So that's going to do it for Horror Business. It is indeed. Uh, as we said, we have a fairly lengthy interview with Mr. Ben Rock. So shall we just go ahead and listen to that now? We shall. Hey guys, this is Taylor of Terror. And Skeletoni. And we are here with uh, writer, director, and the creator of the uh, online short, 20 Seconds to Live, Mr. Ben Rock. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Can't complain. Yep. Thanks for being on the show. It's uh, really nice to talk to you. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, sorry for the, the delay. We had some uh, issues earlier tonight, so... <laughs> Oh, oh, no worries at all. No worries at all. I have a podcast of my own, and I'm terrible at updating it, so I, I get it totally. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm far worse than you are. <laughs> far, far worse. You, I didn't know you had a podcast. What, what's the uh, what's the basis it's, uh, of that? It's called the, cinema, it's called the Cinematography Podcast, and it's um, myself and uh, Ilya Friedman, and we bring in cinematographers and kind of do like a long-form interview with them, kind of talk to them about creative process. We try and avoid too much tech talk and, and stick more to uh, – just creative process, which, you know, to me, creative process is evergreen. But if I'm like, hey, yeah, when I'm using the, you know, the the red epic with the Dragon MX sensor and blah, 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 you know, and I like to use this follow focus, like, you know, two years from now, that will be useless information to everybody. Right. But if you, you know, but, but talking about like how you choose a color palette or how you, uh, how you tackle a scene or how you work with a director, you know, like these things are great. And of course, you know, for me, it's a nefarious way for me to pick the brains of cinematographers who are kind of, you know, out of my pay grade and, uh, and ask them lots of questions. So hopefully one day I can uh, work with some of them. We'll see. That's pretty rad. How long have you been doing that? Well, I mean, how long have we been doing it? We, we recorded our first interview at NAB not last, was it three years ago? Holy shit. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was a while ago. And it took us probably I, – I just get busy with work, and I'm also a perfectionist about editing them. And I'm starting to learn that I can kind of have one or the other because mm-hmm. it will take me a few days just to edit an hour-and-a-half-long interview. And Sounds I don't know that podcast listeners give a shit. So I, I don't know if it's just me being overly anal, but I'm trying to make the, I'm trying to make the guests sound really smart and cut out all their – you know, when they stammer or stutter or say, um, or there's, you know, a big blank – area I, I'm, I'm trying to trim that stuff up you know i'll listen to other podcasts like wtf or whatever and they leave that stuff in and i'm like hmm, maybe i should just i could i could have a much higher output i have uh three episodes that i still have to cut that i haven't even started editing and we're only on seriously like episode eight but uh Ilya from hot rod cameras like you know he he works with like top flight dps all the time so he brings these guys into a shop and uh you know, like we're supposed to be interviewing a guy next week who's done like major, major, major stuff. And, uh, you know, you don't, also don't want to record one of those people and leave them waiting forever, you know. But sure. I mean, honestly, I don't think they care that much. But um, but still, you know, I, 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 I have a problem with the discipline of I'm going to put this thing out once a week. Like I really uh, admire, you know, for instance, uh, like Adam Green and Joe Lynch, how they put out a single episode of the movie Crypt every week. Right. You know, come rain or shine, if 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 Joe's off making uh, 
you know, if, if he's off making Everly for a few months, uh, they, you know, they'll, they'll pre-record a bunch, and then they'll also just do a bunch that Joe, you know, where Joe kind of phones in a, a you know, a report from his set, and then Adam handles the interview and vice versa. You know, like I, I there's something to be said about that, and that's how you build an audience. And, uh, on my own podcast, I've been doing a horrendous job of that. <laughs> just terrible. Yeah, well, I can definitely sympathize. I mean, I know I I do all the editing for our show, and I can. I, I definitely can uh, attest to the, 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 the standards that you put yourself to and the pain in the ass it is to reach those standards. And we only do bi-weekly. Yeah. Well, still, I mean, I think that when when your uh, listenership know, I mean, like, I know, I listen to, uh, you know, seriously, I think I subscribe, including yours, I subscribe to, like, 72 podcasts. Wow. And I listen to most of them. Maybe not every week, but, you know, I'll find myself doing some kind of computer-intensive stuff here and there where I can kind of get caught up on stuff. And, uh, and I do listen to a lot of them. And, and there are podcasts like the Movie Crypt or like Script Notes that I just know, you know, Monday morning, there's going to be a new Movie Crypt. Tuesday morning, there's going to be a new Script Notes. Saturday morning, there's going to be a new Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And I, you know, set my clock by it. Yeah, and, you know, we've discovered the, that consistency seems like, as far as like textbook, that consistency is what builds an audience. But oh, I mean, absolutely. we we listen. We both mutually listen to a lot of a lot of uh, mainly horror uh, subject uh, podcasts, and some of them are really like uh, erratic as far as how like how often they put out episodes. But they still draw these huge crowds. So it's like, well, I'll tell you, no matter how often they put out dinner for fiends, I will listen to it. And you know, sometimes it'll be a few months, and I'll still listen. You know, I just I love. You know, listening to that kind of stuff as well. You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there are podcasts like the Dana Gould Hour. I don't know if you listen to that, but like, you know, he maybe puts it out three, four times a year, completely inconsistency, but complete inconsistency rather. But I'll, you know, download it immediately as soon as I see it and, you know, love it every time. So, but, and his stuff is highly produced. And ours is sort of eh, maybe like a hybrid. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it highly produced, but we have like one little produced segment, but that never takes that long to cut. It's the interview that takes the longest time for me. Right. We leave in the warts and all, so. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, you know, I, well, and that's the thing. is, like, I, don't, I don't know if uh, podcast audiences really care. Like, they, they appreciate authenticity. That's what I love about podcasts like WTF. In part, you listen to WTF and go, well, you know, you're, you're having somebody who talks for a living being articulate. You know, like, somebody who, whose entire job is being a stand-up comedian is probably going to be relatively articulate about what they do. So they'll have their thoughts collected. When you're talking to uh, cinematographers, you know, in, in my case, it's like some of them are really good talkers and some of them aren't because they're not generally on camera. They're not they're not on camera talent. Right. <clears throat> That's kind of uh, uh, personally for me. I was always kind of introverted, and so just starting up this podcast and being able to <laughs> even just you know talk here across across the table from my best friend, but knowing that there are going to be other people listening, it was kind of hard for me to you know, push myself to, to oralize and, and, and speak. <laughs> is it like therapy? Does it, I mean, is it therapeutic in a way? It is actually, uh, shortly after we started, I lost my job and I actually found that doing the show made me better at interviews. So, oh yeah. Yeah. So of course it would. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally it would. You get used to talking, you know, you just get used to formulating your thoughts before you, uh, before you put them out, knowing that 
some number of people you've never met are going to be hearing them. You exactly. know, it, it can't be a bad thing. <clears throat> you just have to remember to make less dick and fart jokes in the job interview <laughs> right. than we do on the show. <laughs> That's true. Let's talk about it poop. And- <laughs> some jobs appreciate the poop and fart jokes. <laughs> Tell me where those jobs are. I'll go apply. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you get started in the film industry? Where did you go to film school? Did you go to film school? I did. Where? Uh, I, I'm from uh, Orlando, Florida. And uh, I went to the University of Central Florida um, in the 90s. <laughs> well, actually, first, I went to two film schools. I went to Valencia Community College, uh, which is a, you know, a community college in Orlando, they, uh, the, when Universal Studios and Disney opened up a uh, shop in Orlando, they set up a film program. They like put a bunch of money in to create a film program to basically train below the line people. You know, so grip, camera, sound, electric, uh, you know, general production stuff, art department, that kind of stuff. And uh, I went to that um, after finishing my first two years of college. And then after that, I applied to uh, UCF, uh, which is, you know, our local college. I applied to another college that, uh, I could mention that. I don't give a shit. Uh, I applied to uh, Cal Arts and I didn't get in, uh, but I also applied to UCF and uh, and got in, and that was cool because I knew a lot of people in UCF and I'd worked on a lot of UCF films. Um, at the time that I was that I was doing that though, I had always um, from like middle school age, I'd been into special effects makeup. Yeah, and so I was yeah. So I had like Tom Savini's book and Dick Smith's book and you know Rod, uh, Roger Corson. Uh, it was just a stage makeup book. Like, I, you know, I had three-dimensional makeup. I had all these books, and I was fucking around with all that stuff in my spare time. And, you know, even in high school plays and stuff, I would I would do – like I did my first life cast ever for a play that we were doing in high school to make this guy look deformed. And uh, I, when I was 17, I had gone to the Civic Theater of Central Florida where they were doing a Frankenstein play. They were a play like a, you know, relatively – for, it was a community theater size, but like they, they actually had a really good community theater there. And I met the makeup artist, and I kind of I had made this Frankenstein prosthetic, and I showed it to her, and I think that she was just charmed that this gawky seventeen year old dork was in there, you know, that he'd done this. <laughs> and she kind of took me under her wing. Uh, and her name uh, was Amanda Llewellyn, and um, well, she got married to a guy named Wes Llewellyn years later, and then took on Amanda Llewellyn. She was Amanda Wells at the time, but um, she was working on like low budget movies in the Southeast, notably in Alabama, uh, notably for, unfortunately, as of last week, David Pryor. I don't know if you knew who David Pryor was, um, but he made like 30 movies in Mobile. Um, I think the best known one is called Deadly Prey, and his brother was Ted Pryor. And uh, they would make all these movies in, in Mobile. And they got, you know, they got like serious actors. So, you know, like between the ages of 17 and say 21, Amanda had kind of trained me to be her assistant, and then she got a job on this film called uh, Raw Justice. At the time, it was called Good Cop, Bad Cop, and Skip Tracer. Those are the two working titles. Uh, but it was released as Raw Justice. I was like, I think I was 22 years old uh, when I worked on my first movie. I was still in film school at the time uh, at UCF, and uh, and that was for David Pryor. Anyway, I say unfortunately because David Pryor passed away last week. Oh man! So. Wow. Yeah, he was 59. Uh, you know, uh, he was a uh, hard smoking, hard drinking, not particularly concerned about his diet kind of fella. So I won't say that it surprised anybody, but it's super unfortunate. And he was a really nice guy. And I mean, honestly, I was talking to him on Facebook like five days before he died. And I, and I talked to like a bunch of people from back in the day and they all, they all said they were talking to him on Facebook. 
Um, and you know, he, he's still making movies. That guy's made like over 30 features. Wow. Wow. And, uh, so, some of them are good. <laughs> Not all of them. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, like the relatively low budgets too. You know, the, like Raw Justice was like an eight hundred thousand dollar movie. I asked David after I'd worked on a couple of projects what the budget on it was, and he said it was eight hundred thousand. So that that was a movie that had Pamela Anderson, I believe, right after she landed on Baywatch. Um, Robert Hayes, David Keith, Stacy Keach, Charles Napier, some other people, like a lot of recognizable faces. Yeah, it's quite a cast. And. Uh, and yeah, it was, that was one of David's honest, honest to God, it was one of his gifts. Like he was able to pull together just fucking amazing casts all the time. And um, anyway, uh, so I actually asked him like, well, how much of that went to the crew? He was like, uh, about 200K. And, I mean, like this is 1993. These movies are being shot on 35 millimeter with a full crew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was the assistant makeup artist. And I also kind of like the way Amanda and I used to work is she would handle like all the beauty stuff and I would handle like making the guys look presentable and then any, any blood or gore or anything. Cause that was the whole reason I was there anyway. Um, but anyway, that, that was how I got started and I stuck with that for a while. And about 1997, I, I, I'm like, I'd always intended to direct and around 1997, I decided to quit doing makeup cause I realized it just, uh, it, it it's, I love makeup artists. They're awesome people. I, I, it's just not my thing. I'm just not, I don't have the right temperament for it. I don't think. And, uh, and for the special effects stuff, um, you know, I had to kind of wanted to get out of it because so much of what you work with are just these outrageously toxic chemicals. And the guys I knew who were serious at it, and I'm sure this still happens today, like every year they go get blood work done and see what toxic chemicals were at high concentrations in their bloodstream, and then they'd lay off those for a year. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I just, I just don't know that I can do that. That's just that's that. a I mean, way to live. You know, yeah. again. That's dedication to your craft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm assuming that safety standards have perhaps come up, but like at the time, we were using a lot of polyfoam, mm. and polyfoam puts out a, a, a fume that includes cyanide in it, and you'll get like, I would get a really special headache whenever I worked <laughs> with it. Like, I could, I could tell, and um, you know, and people would say like, well, just mix it outside and have a fan blowing it away, and you know, that does work, but then you're, I don't know, like I just, I always felt like I'm not enough of a chemist to do that, like the foam latexy kind of stuff. I was way into. And I mean, like when I worked like uh, recently, um, actually on one of the episodes of 20 Seconds to Live, uh, I worked with um, Adam Green's uh, main special effects uh, makeup guy. And it was it was honest to God, it was it was great talking to him. Uh, uh, he, he just, you know, like we had like a five hour conversation about it. And I forgot how much I loved about it, you know, because so much of it is about, you know, sculpture and craft and also just kind of like inventing a magic trick for how you're going to make something you know, come across on screen. Right. Um, but anyway, so in 97, I quit doing that stuff. And, um, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, I should name, I should mention his name, Rob Pendergraft. He's fucking awesome. And you get him on your podcast. Um, he, he, awesome. he, he basically has worked on virtually every Adam green film. Um, anyway, so in 1997, I, I quit doing that. And about a year before then I had been contacted about the Blair Witch project, which is its own entire long saga of a story. Um, but we made Blairwich that year in 97. So that, uh, was sort of like the, the lucky break. If, if you want to call, I mean, like at the time it was, you know, the dumbest idea anyone had ever heard outside of those of us who really believed in it. Right. Um, and then, and then when it blew up, of course, you know, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a phenomenon. I mean, it, it kind of took over the world in a way. It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, 
for me, like I literally arrived in LA the morning after it had been bought in Sundance. I just happened to be moving to LA at the time, but like suddenly doors opened that shouldn't have been open to me at the time. I wasn't ready for them. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, like I, I got, I got career headway out of it, which was awesome and is still awesome. And I'm super proud of what we did. Uh, and, and my, you know, like my small part of it. But, um, but at the same time, like I, I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, I had had to do the same clawing struggle up to the, to the top that, you know, everyone else does, you know, where it's, you know, probably like a good 10 year process. I just wonder if I would have been in, I, I, I wonder what kind of shape I would be in. I don't know. You can, I guess you can play coulda, shoulda, what all day. And uh, no one's going to feel sorry for me for having worked on that. But, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, like, I just wasn't ready for. I wasn't ready to be having meetings at, you know, at Merrimax and, and, and all right. these places were like excited to talk to me at the time. <laughs> yeah, so you, I mean, you were you were a production designer on Blair Witch, uh, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but I, I did write a bunch of the backstory. Did you? Okay, was sort of what cracked up the door. Yeah, I, I I mean, there were really only five of us who worked on it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were a bunch of other people. I mean, well. Actually, I should say maybe under 10, you know, because like Rick Moreno is the art director on it. And Rick was around a lot, but, he, you know, he, I think, had a full-time day job at the time. So he'd be there at night. But like my full-time day job the whole time we were working on it was that. And, it, you know, the same for Neil Fredericks and obviously, you know, Ed, Ed and Dan and Greg and the actors. Um, you know, so it was, you know, a really small group of people. But also like when I was – when Greg – so it's a long story and I've, I've told it before – but uh, Greg Hale had, bef- like, in, in 1996, I was living about a block away from Greg Hale, one of the producers. And, you know, we had gone to Valencia and UCF together. And then, uh, he had been out in L.A. working on, he was an art department guy, and he was working on Mad TV, and he had just gotten back. And, and so we were hanging out, and he said, hey, man, have you ever heard of the Blair Witch? And I was like, you mean the Bell Witch? And he's like, no, no, the Blair Witch. Because I'm like a nerd for all this paranormal shit. <laughs> and, um, and then he kind of... He was like, you know, he, well, here's the story. And at the time, the mythology was very rough, but it was all there. Like everything that that you, everything that was in the final mythology was sort of in what he pitched me then. So he, he tells me this story, like it's a real piece of folklore. And I'm eating out of his hand the whole way. I, I, I buy it hook, line, and sinker. And then he's like, yeah, so Ed has these friends up in Maryland who he went to film school with. I knew Ed from UCF. He'd gone to UCF with us. He was a couple of years ahead of me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, they're making this documentary about it. I'm like, Oh, really? I'd be interested to see that. And he's like, yeah, well, here's the thing. They disappeared while making it. And I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> and he was like, uh, he's like, yeah, but their footage was found buried under a house. I'm like, well, has anyone looked at it? He's like, well, we're going to do that. And I'm like, dude, you guys are going to die. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then he told me, you know, kind of. The whole, the whole thing, and I was like, uh, I will sweep the floors. I must work on this. This is the craziest idea I've ever heard. So he and sold he you on the whole mythos. Totally. And then he told me, like, how they intended to shoot it, and I was like, double in. Like, what can I do to work on it? Yeah, and the, the mythos wasn't, like, complete at the time. So what they had me do was they had me um, go – because the internet, the internet was around, but it wasn't exactly the internet yet. Um, I went to a library, a place called the library, and I did a what bunch of research and photocopied a bunch of stuff. Uh, a library is like a place where the internet is all printed out in <laughs> these weird things called books. And uh, it's like, imagine Wikipedia if you had to print the whole fucking thing out and then you had to catalog it and then go through that catalog and find stuff. Mind um, blown. Super inconvenient. <laughs> 
so I went there and I got like all these, uh, you know, uh, pictures and woodcuts and research and whatever. And I wrote up basically the pitch tape that, that, uh, ended up, we, we basically made a pitch tape. Nobody was doing that kind of thing at the time that I know of. I mean, maybe they were, um, we were all in Orlando. We had no fucking idea what we were doing. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, and, and, uh, Dan had a production company with a very uh, exotic after effects system and an avid and all this stuff. And so we made a full pitch tape. And he was able to, uh, through a longer story, he was able to get it to John Pearson, who was the guy who discovered, like, Kevin Smith, Michael Moore, Spike Lee, you know, a bunch, a bunch of people. He wrote a book called Spike Mike Slackers and Dykes that's, <laughs> like, you know, kind of his account of discovering the 90s. Right. And, um, and John Pearson had a TV show on IFC, I think, called Split Screen. It might have been on Bravo. I, I'm pretty sure it was on IFC. Anyway, uh, and he was covering the Florida film that when Dan Myrick was his cameraman and Dan asked him if he'd watch this tape. And it was basically the mythos laid out as I had kind of spruced up their original idea. And he had the exact same response that I had. He, he called uh, Dan up and he's like, you have this footage? You've seen this footage? What's on this tape? And then Dan had to explain to him what it was. And uh, he thought it was hilarious. And basically he ran that piece as a segment of split screen. And um, and commissioned a second segment, and I uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn now, but I believe that the fee for each one was eight thousand dollars, and so between those two, it was like sixteen grand, which was more than half of our budget to make the movie. <laughs> and so it was like that plus another ten grand was what it took to make the actual film. Um, and split screen had uh, you know because the internet was kind of like starting to be a thing, they had a chat board, and their chat board blew up after after the segment ran and that was what gave Ed the idea to put all this stuff on the internet. And, you know, the, the inter the internet played obviously an enormous part in the success of that film. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you'd have a hard time recapturing. I mean, like, you know, people do oh, viral marketing, but I mean, it, it doesn't really capture you the same way. Uh, just because like you said, the internet was so relatively new and people weren't as jaded by it back then. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's like once in a lifetime, a new form of communication comes along. For sure. And when it does, you can make, you know, the war of the worlds for that form. Yeah. And after that, everyone gets wise. I mean, I think that's really what happens. Yeah. Um, and, and so Internet is, you know, obviously central in so many marketing campaigns now. And frankly, central in everything else. It's central in distribution. It's central in how, where you actually watch the fucking things. But... Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, back, th back then I, you know, there were people like myself, you know, like poking around on the internet, trying to find anything of any interest. So here's this, this weird yarn about, uh, a witch legend, you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, right, right thing at the right time and luck. And also, you know, like, and this isn't me, you know, uh, waxing my own car cause it's not my concept. Um, but I think that because the film actually is really intense and what edited and, you know, wrote and directed really worked, um, you know, the fact that, that all that, that the trail of breadcrumbs they left on the internet led people to that, it, it all, it all came together kind of perfectly mm -hmm. and, uh, in a, in a once in a lifetime kind of accidental <laughs> way. Cause <laughs> if you planned it, you could never execute it that perfectly. Oh, sure. So, um, let's talk a little bit about 20 seconds to live. How did that idea come about? Well, um, you know, um, my friend Bob DeRosa and I have both, you know, like we've both done a lot of different projects together and separately. We've done a lot of theater projects together. 
and we've talked a lot about like kind of cracking the code of uh, of web series, and you know I'm not saying we have <laughs> successfully done that yet, but um, you know there are certain things like uh, slight side trip. I was hired to do second camera for a Q and A of these of these YouTube celebrities a couple of years ago, and I went and I watched them talk, and people were flying in from. Texas and and uh, driving in from Las Vegas. I'm in Los Angeles, obviously, and uh, you know, like it was unbelievable how these people were coming in to see these two guys talk, and they were very articulate and smart. And I'm not going to tell you who they are because I'm about to tell you that everything they did was garbage. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I mean, I went home and I went to watch one of their videos, and um, and I was just like, I was appalled. And the guy had like an outrageous number of subscriptions. On YouTube, and it was basically just him talking to a camera. There was really no writing. There was really no craft, um, and it was garbage. And then the other guy was making kind of these like lowbrow, misogynistic, homophobic comedy sketches, um, like kind of middle school humor, and not very well produced. And also, you know, just had an, an outrageous number of subscribers, and they were putting out like one of them a week, and uh, both of them were, and, and they were friends, but they didn't necessarily work together. And I called a friend of mine who at the time worked at Maker, uh, and I was like, is this the future of filmmaking? Because um, if it is, I, I think I need to learn how to sell insurance. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm done. This is, this is horrible. Like, I'm just not interested in this. Uh, you know, like, I, I come from a background where it's like, you know, you try and write the best thing and cast the best cast and really make, like, really good little pieces or big pieces or whatever pieces you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're making The Hateful Eight or Lawrence of Arabia, or or Pi, you know, you work within the uh, the limitations that you have, but you try and make something that's awesome and compelling, and it's the storytelling that's the most important thing. And what I was starting to realize was it was the personalities of these people that was the most important thing. And, uh, and it was a little frustrating, but it started me thinking sort of about, like, well, what kind of web series would I do? And I've toyed around with some other ideas. I even shot another idea, but never released it, because I, I didn't feel like it was ready to go yet. Um... And it was more—it was more of an idea that's what you think of when you think of a web series, where it's something that you could crank out and you could put out a new one every week if you wanted to. Um, but we, uh, so anyway, Bob and I were kicking ideas around, and, and this idea came up. And he and I also do a lot of theater stuff together. Uh, there's a theater out here called Sacred Fools, and they have a late night show called Serial Killers that he often writes and I often direct. And um, and so, you know, the, the idea just sort of came up between the two of us. We love anthologies. Uh, you know, we love, you know, obviously stuff like The Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt. Or there's like this one from the 80s that we both really latched onto called The Hitchhiker that nobody's ever heard of. It was on HBO and it was full of boobs, just boobs and boobs. <laughs> but, but it was also, it was also, it was just really well made and dark and, uh, you know, it, I mean, like, it, 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 the, the Hitchhiker was sort of the Rod Serling in it. I'm sure it would be horribly dated if we watched it today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as, you know, like, 12-year-old me was always, you know, like, on the edge of my seat. and uh, Because boobs. Um, yeah, and boobs, yeah. Well, well uh, yeah, the edge of my seat because when are the boobs? When are boobs? <laughs> boobs are forthcoming. I was promised boobs. It says it in the, the guy. Um, but uh, any, anyway... Um, you know, so, so we had we had the idea and we kind of kicked it around and it, and you know the original idea. Uh, I don't remember if it was him or me who first kind of said the words 20 seconds to live out loud," but uh, you know we loved the idea that in every episode we were going to kill off somebody and, and it was going to be an anthology, so you'd have no idea who it was 
you know, we were not, you know, we would, if, if anything, we would lead you to believe that, the, that somebody else was going to be killed or, you know, make it, I hate to call it a game because, you know, there's some episodes where it's really obvious who's going to die. Right. But, um, uh, but, but to kind of have it be a little, little bit of a sport with the audience, you know, and, uh, and it was a way also for us to kind of, as both of us being enormous horror fans, like we could try any genre or subgenre of horror. Frankly, we could do we could do we have one that if we do a second season, we're probably going to do that is totally slapstick comedy, straight up slapstick. Uh, there's another one that I hope we do that is a time travel piece. You know, like to me, that's like f- figure out an idea. Like there's a 20 second countdown clock till someone dies, and then add time travel into that. <laughs> breaks the idea. Um, you know, so, you know, we, we can sort of explore anything that we can do, you know, within our limited means. And we, you know, financed it basically out of our own pockets and called in favors and got like, uh, George Foyt who shot all the episodes, you know, is just an enormous, amazing DP, uh, you know, with, with just amazing skill. And, you know, when we bring these people on, it's like, look, we want you to bring your creativity, uh, you know, to the DPs, I would say, I'm never going to rush you, which is, I think really important be- because, um, like I've done, I've done some other web series kind of stuff, and I feel like a lot of times there there's a sense of it doesn't matter what it looks like; it's just going to the internet. And in my opinion, you know, that doesn't mean anything anymore. People are watching Vimeo videos on their on their you know fifty six inch televisions. Right. You know, it it, it doesn't. It, you should make it look as good as you can make it look within again within your limited means. You know, but we shot three of them on 4K, um, you know, even though we only delivered them all in HD, you know, but we, you know, every one of them had a sound mix. Everyone had an original score. Everyone had, uh, um, you know, a, a color grading pass. We were really cautious with the way that we cast them and we cast people we knew were really good. And, you know, like my friend who used to work at Maker was like, hey, I might be able to help you find some YouTube celebrities. And uh, I'm not down on YouTube celebrities, but to me, it's like the most important thing is can people act? And I've had, in my very, very limited experience with some YouTube celebrities, it's like, they're not, they're not really, so, I mean, some of them are actors, like Felicia Day is obviously an actor, but, um, you know, a lot of them are just people who are just being themselves all the time on, on a webcam or something, and I'm just not interested in that. So, you know, when we did uh, go after somebody who had some kind of an audience, it was somebody like Derek Mears, who I personally know, and I know is a really good actor, or uh, Graham Skipper, you know, who's maybe not as well known at the moment, but I think he's going to blow up any minute now. And he was, he was the lead in uh, Joe Vegas's first movie, almost human in his upcoming movie, the mind's eye, which I've seen. uh, You know, he was one of those people. It's like, God damn it. I know that guy. (laughs) Who is he? (laughs) Yeah. And and the thing is that Graham is also an LA theater actor. Like I know, I know Graham from LA theater and he was in, um, Stuart Gordon did a musical version of reanimator. He played Herbert fucking West. Really? Oh, nice. Blew the doors off the place. He is so great. I mean, you have no idea how talented Graham is. And I feel that way, frankly, about pretty much every actor that we brought on board. Um, you know, we brought on people with, you know, amazing resumes who, who've done lots of work. A lot of them are people who I've worked with. Um, so anyway, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> so how did this, uh, how'd you get hooked up with Adam? I mean, did, did you know him previously or? I, I knew, I mean, it's funny. I know, I, I have known Adam for years. I met Adam in uh, 2009. My wife, Alicia Conway, made a short called Right that played at Sundance, and it played before Grace, which Adam produced. Um, okay. the, the movie uh, Paul Solid directed. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh. Fucking Paul um, Solid, dude. <laughs> oh, sorry, what? <laughs> I was just quoting Jack Chop. 
<laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's a regular feature on our show. Fucking. <laughs> oh, Fucking. Yeah. So, uh, so I met Adam there. That was like in 2009. And then, you know, I've run across him uh, at a smattering of horror kind of events or whatever, like the Reaper Awards and stuff like that. And I, and I know Joe, uh, I, I have known Joe slightly better. Like I know Joe, Joe Lynch decently. I, I, I know everyone talks about them like they're one person almost. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, they had me on their podcast probably, I want to say like a year ago, the movie crypt, which, um, m- my episode notwithstanding anyone who wants to get into filmmaking, I can't recommend that podcast highly enough. It's just, I, I wish I'd had that podcast when I was in film school. They get, I mean, even today, like they'll get agents they'll get producers they'll get studio people on there mm-hmm. it's it's one of the most informative filmmaking podcasts i've ever heard and it's very entertaining in my opinion but anyway so they they had me on there probably about a year ago and uh i had shown we had shot so so we went off uh, kind of half cocked and shot uh three episodes the first one we shot was climax then we shot maybe two or three months later we shot anniversary then last july we'd shot um heartless the one Graham Skipper was in. And, uh, and we didn't know yet how we were going to distribute them. We, we sort of had kind of a very ready fire aim approach. It's like, well, let's just keep making these as long as we like it. And then we'll, you know, like when we get a body of, we were thinking five, originally we were thinking eight and then we started tempering our uh, expectations. So it came down to five, uh, you know, maybe we'll self release or maybe, you know, like, um, Bob's manager loved them. So he took them and shopped them around a little bit, but it's like, they're kind of odd. It's an oddball thing. Like you don't really know where it, it's, it's not like it's not right for funny or die. It's not right for maker. It's not, you know, it's not right. It's, it's not plug and play for anybody because it's, you know, cause it's trying to be original for God's sake. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, uh, I, I listen to the movie crypt pretty much every week, but they like on their, on their, uh, new year's episode, they had done a super long mega episode that was like three hours long. And so it was taking me a while to kind of chunk my way through it. But Bob had listened to a later episode, and I forget the name of the producer who was on, but it was the guy who had produced, I believe, Starry Eyes. And Adam, in the middle of it, was talking about how uh, that guy asked Adam, like, you know, have you ever had somebody else, you know, come in and, and do like any web series for you? Because Adam was doing Scary Sleepover at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, you know, I've talked to some people, but I don't know because they're not always dependable. You can, you can find the episode for sure and, and, and hear exactly what I'm talking about. And um, it might it was probably way after New Year's, actually, now that I think about it. It was probably in April. But anyway, Bob uh, said, you should listen to it. So I, I listened to it. I got to that point. And, um, oh, and, and flashing back to last year when I was on their podcast, I had shown them to Adam, and he liked them. I'd shown him the three that we'd done. And so I knew he liked them. I didn't know if he liked them enough to, you know, to, to, to go the, to the extent that he went with on them. Um, but anyway, I sent him an email. And, uh, you know, the thing is that, you know, I feel like we probably could have found a distributor or somebody or something if we'd kept lo- looking. But there's something about Adam that do – you, do you actually know Adam or have you ever met him or anything? No. We're, we're, we're fans, but uh, don't okay, know him so, personally. So Adam is like – instantly one of the most trustworthy people you'll ever meet. Like I, I know that, you know, Adam and I, you know, we, we could probably argue about something, although I don't think we ever have, or, you know, we could probably have a disagreement and we have strong feelings about things that maybe aren't always the same, but I think Adam would, uh, would, you know, uh, jump in front of a moving train before he'd fuck over another move, uh, another filmmaker. Um, he's, he's just all integrity. I mean, he really is to the core. 
Um, and I can't say enough good things about him. So, so I, I dropped him an email and, and he got back to me and he'd already seen them. And I sent him links to, to, we had five at that point. And, uh, you know, he watched them and, um, you know, he had, you know, obvious concerns. You know, he, he basically was, he sent me this really long email kind of outlining like, look, I can't give you any money. You're not going to become an instant star once I put these up, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you know, we don't, we don't want your money. We don't really want anything from you. We're not expecting instant stardom. You know, it, it just kind of, you know, like we think Scope could really be a good home for these. And, uh, you know, went back and forth. Uh, he met with uh, Bob and Kat Paziak, our producer, and me. And, uh, you know, looking at all the options that we had, like I, I kind of was immediately sold on the idea of going with Adam. Um, and Aries scope, you know, just kind of, I, I would rather roll the dice with somebody like him again, just because, you know, like, you know, we all get beaten up in the business here and there, but it's, it's good to know that you're, that you're dealing with somebody who is, is on your side the way that he is. And, uh, you know, so if we do a second season, don't know if it would be on Aries scope or not. It's something we haven't even discussed with him really, but, uh, you know, I, I could not think of a better place for it. And, you know, I hope. Adam does what he's clearly trying to do, which is sort of to become the nerdist of horror, you know, horror websites, you know, where he's got a new, he, he basically has a new web series, episode of horrified or scary sleepover, I think through the end of this year. Um, right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then obviously Holliston is coming back and, uh, anyway, so, so yeah, I mean like I, I hooked up with him because I, I, I did know him, but you know, like working with him has, has just been an unmitigated pleasure. And really, the, the only thing was, like, when we brought him five, he's like, well, I really need about two months' worth of stuff. Would you be willing to do any more episodes? And every episode we did, again, it, you know, it was coming out of our pockets, and it was kind of exhausting. Um, but we, you know, we decided to do two more. And he really helped, you know, he stepped up. His his company provided uh, the camera. His DP, Will Barrett, um, provided the camera. Uh, it was an MX Red 1. And uh, we shot, the last two that we shot were uh, Ransom and Evil Doll. And, uh, and honestly, I'm really glad that we did both of those. Like, I think that, you know, Ransom is like probably the only one out of the seven that's not a comedy at all. There's really nothing funny except maybe Adam's cameo at the end. Uh, Spoiler alert. Um, and it's really only funny if you know who Adam is. Um, I like the Tom Holland uh, cameo better personally. (laughs) Holy shit. I feel like we got away with, like, I can't believe you have no idea what a fucking geek I was for Tom Holland <laughs> and to be working. I mean, we only had him for like an hour and a half, two hours, but just, just to have him come down there and get to meet the fucking guy. And I mean, I'd met him before, but to like shake his hand and to really talk. I mean, like Fright Night was kind of the starting point for me as a, as a horror fan. And it, it was, you know, kind of the gateway drug and, you know, Fright Night led to me checking out Fangoria, which led to me, you know, seeing Evil Dead movies and Dario Argento and like all all the you know all the usual suspects, all all the shit that influenced everyone in my generation, to me starts with Fright Night. So to get to to get to actually t- talk to the guy and work with him and the fact that he and that was all Adam's doing by the way. Like when we were doing those two, I was like, hey, can you think of anyone that we can cast in these? And he was like, I don't know, Tom Holland. And my first thought was like, the director of Fright Night? Why? <laughs> oh, oh, you know. And, uh, and he was just, he was just such a pleasure to work with, you know, that was like a hot day we were shooting it. And, uh, you know, Tom's, Tom's not elderly, but he's old and I don't want to make an old man lay on the ground. And I was like, well, let me just see how hot it is. He's like, I'm laying on this ground. (laughs) Get out of my way. I'm going to lay right down. You rolling? I'm going to lay down right now. Um, 
he was uh, just like a uh, thoroughly awesome guy. And not to not not to keep uh, referring to the movie crypt, but uh, Adam did uh, a great interview with Tom on the movie crypt that I, I recommend highly if you're a fan of his, as as I uh, droolingly am. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, Fright Night was one of those one of those movies in my youth that it's just like okay, well, this is for me. And it, it's still one of my go-tos. If I can't find something to watch, I'll watch Fright Night. Yeah. So it holds up pretty well, you know. I mean, like nothing from the '80s holds up uh, in terms of hair or fashion, but other <laughs> right. than that, it, it does okay. Yeah, and yeah, we we both listened to that episode. Yeah, it was really good. It's it nice to hear him talk. I mean, you know, he's 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 the director, and so naturally, yeah, not a lot of directors really are known for their talking. Um, so to to hear him and especially somebody that I I personally admire so much, um, it was yeah. just nice to listen he's, to it. He's one of those guys where if we had him on our show, we would just Chris Farley the whole time. <laughs> like, remember yeah. in Fright Night? I sort of did that with him on set, and I hope I didn't uh, like make him hate me because like I just could not stop thanking him for coming out. I just felt I I mean like every picture I was super nervous till he got there. And then, like every picture that they took, like I, I'm, I, I, it looks like my skin is going to split at the jawline because I'm smiling so much. <laughs> like I was, it was, it was so exciting to get to work with him. And you know, the thing is that like he just he fucking adores Adam. And you know, when I think it, when Adam came up on on set, he's like, I just love everything Adam's doing. He's just such a great guy. So and and when our episode came out, he worked pretty hard to promote it. You know, when when Evil Doll went went live. Um, you know, it, it's you know they say don't don't uh, meet your heroes, um, but honestly, like I met him, and then a year ago I produced a play that Stuart Gordon directed, and Stuart Gordon, you know, also just an enormous influence, and uh, the the opportunity to actually get to work like sort of side by side with Stuart. I mean, like he was directing, so he was manning the ship, but I was like there for most of it was, you know, seriously just one of the most unparalleled, awesomest things that's ever happened to me in my entire career. Stuart is such an amazing guy and has, I, I, it just, it bums me out that Stuart isn't making giant movies um, all the time or TV or something because he's just so, he's so smart and so talented. And, you know, uh, if, again, if we do a season two, I'll probably try and get Stuart to be in one of them. Very cool. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you if there's going to be a season two, but it sounds like you don't know yourself yet, so... We're, we're, you know what? Honestly, we're. I want there to be a season two very badly. I'm, I'm kind of crazy busy with work, work right now, and I need it, so I'm, I'm taking it while it's here. Um, but also, like, we're trying to, we're kind of playing now that we have the seven episodes that we have. It's not like there, there's kind of that feeling like uh, opening weekend of a movie where like you want it to be the number one movie or whatever. And obviously, we want our web series to, you know, be. Uh, water cooler talk around the world, but we have no marketing budget. You know, we, we don't have uh, the money even like to hire a marketing person. We don't have that. Uh, so it's all very grassroots. Um, Bob does the, all the, all of our Twitter feed. He manages all of that and he loves doing it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of experimenting with other things. So for instance, you know, we originally premiered exclusively on Aeroscope and we're doing this all with Adam. Like, you know, basically, um, Adam has it exclusively for uh, until October, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I just want to make it work on Aeroscope. I, I want it to work on Aeroscope. I want every season to be on Aeroscope if we if we continue it. Um, but um, anyway, uh, 
you know, but like last week we put them all up on YouTube just because it's like, well, let's let's see. You know, I personally hate YouTube for this kind of thing, and I also feel like those those uh, horrible web series I was telling you about earlier, like that's where that stuff thrives. Garbage thrives on YouTube. I mean, I mean, good stuff thrives on YouTube too. There's stuff like Freddie Wong who does really great work that does super well on YouTube. Um, you know, and also, you know, famous rap battles in history and auto-tune the news and bad lip reading. You know, there, there are series that like, that actually have real craft to them that work there. But I just, honestly, I'm kind of like a conscientious objector to YouTube. And that's, so we had always been talking about putting them on Vimeo instead of YouTube anyway, and kind of following the model of a web series called High Maintenance, um, which only was available on Vimeo. But, um, but anyway, I mean, it's like we sort of caved to the peer pressure and put it up on YouTube. And then the next experiment, which is probably going to happen right after Labor Day, is we're going to put them all up on Facebook. And my suspicion is they're going to do better on Facebook than anywhere else because Facebook makes it really easy to socially share video stuff. And their algorithm supports it. So it, it's, it's stupid. But, like, if you put a YouTube video on your Facebook feed, uh, like 1% of the people on your Facebook feed will see it. Um, but if you put it, if you embed uh, a Facebook video on your on your uh, thing, like it's, I think it's over sixty percent will see it. So, like they're trying to push their own video player, and they're actually getting more plays than than uh, YouTube on in certain metrics. So, we'll see. I what I don't want to make them for myself. <laughs> you know, I want to make them for an audience, and so, and I feel like we've kind of laid the foundation of of an audience like we've got like obviously some some people who really love the series and you know are talking about it on twitter or whatever and, and you know we have a good base and so i do feel like i want to make more episodes but i i just want to make i just want to do it smart that's all does that make sense definitely yeah well um i think i can speak for tony and say that we're we're fans of, of what you've got already and we would both oh, like thanks. to see a second season yeah for sure and we already have scripts written, by the way. I mean, like, we, oh, we wrote a bunch of scripts for the first season, and some of them were too ambitious for what we were trying to do. And, uh, and so, we, you know, we want to definitely find a way to do more ambitious stuff. But that means money. You know, I mean, that's, that's the problem with it is it means that we would have to do, like, a Kickstarter or something to raise some kind of, a mo- uh, to raise some kind of money. And, and I'm actually all for doing a Kickstarter campaign. You know, I don't feel like we're talking about raising a million dollars. I think we're, I don't, I don't know what the number is, but it's, you know, probably in the thousands, pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just would prefer, I don't need to ever get paid to do this. And I feel like, I don't think Bob feels like he needs to, although I'm not going to talk for him, but like, you know, George or DP, it'd be, I mean, that guy is, is he brought so much to the table. Um, I wish that we could, you know, pay him even a fraction of what he's worth. And also, like, hire him, the support team around himself, you know, because, like, a lot of times he didn't have a gap or he didn't have an AC, and so he was having to, like, man the lens and set the lights. And, you know, I would help him out. I, I know how to do all that stuff. But also, you know, I'm directing it. I have other stuff that's pulling me this way or that, so I can't be the dedicated lighting guy all day for him necessarily. Although on Evil Doll, I basically said, he was like, I need a gaffer. And I'm like, I will be your gaffer. You tell me where to put the lights. I will put the light. I know how to set them up. I know how to do what you need done. And, uh, you know, it worked out. It worked out okay. Um, but I, I just, you know, I want to make things, uh, I know that we can move faster and get, and get even better stuff if we surround, you know, George and everybody else with some slightly better people. And, you know, it's not, I don't think that we'll ever be able to afford to pay like top wages, but if we could even just pay slave wages, that would be a step up from where we were. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
<clears throat> all right. Well, we would love to sit here and talk with you all night, but we've got the rest of our episode we got to record. So, uh, <laughs> all right. To wrap up, why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you online, where they can listen to your podcast, follow you on Twitter, and all that, where they can catch Twenty Seconds to Live. Absolutely. Well, if you're going to watch 20 Seconds to Live, I would say please go to aeriescope.com and, and uh, look forward. It says web series, and you can watch it there. If you do a search for it on YouTube, you'll find it. But, uh, you know, Adam's whole reason in putting us on there was to draw attention to his website. So uh, please watch, go to aeriescope.com for that. Uh, as for me, I am uh, benrockonline.com is my website. I'm on Twitter, at Neptune Salad. Um, you know, if you want to ask me any questions or whatever. Ask me to be on your podcast. Uh, that's that's where to do it. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. You can't avoid me. I'm everywhere. You're, well, you're going to realize that I've been there the whole time. After after you look me up online, and that there is no way that you can avoid me in the future. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ben. It was real great talking to you. Uh, it was a lot. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So, uh, wish you luck uh, in the future, and uh, keep on you know doing what you're doing. Looking forward to see what you got in store for us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll get a season two going. Yeah, and if you guys um, do end up getting doing a Kickstarter, let us know and we'll we'll plug that. Hills to the yeah. No, I, I definitely uh, I I think we might. Um, I think I think that a Kickstarter might happen. Um, it's just you know it, it's like one of those things where it's like uh, I've, I've actually been listening to a lot of podcasts about Kickstarter and the people who are successful at it, and it's like yeah, plan out like for a month. It's going to be a full time job. It's going to be a full fucking time job for you and, uh, and, and take a month to plan that month and really get it going. And, you know, some people have raised some outrageous sums of money on Kickstarter. Uh, and, and I've even gone on and looked for, like, horror web series. There aren't that many that have raised money on there. So I don't know if that means that it's a terrible idea or it's uh, the most inspired idea I ever had. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, a lot of – God, I'd say maybe even a majority of our guests have been, uh, like, Kickstarter – you know, fundraisers and, um, seems to have gone oh, really? well for most of them. Uh, well, the thing is that, um, I know this guy named Ivan Asquith who, uh, like he's actually kind of, um, it's going to, I'm going to sound like a star fucking name dropper, but, um, uh, he did the Kickstarter. He ran a Kickstarter campaign for Veronica Mars and reading rainbow. <laughs> okay. And there was one other really mega successful one. Why am I blanking on it? It's, it's like, Oh, super troopers. Mm, yeah. uh, and he he ran all their Kickstarter campaigns, and uh, I've talked to him a little bit about like not I I can't afford him, uh, but like just kind of asking him. And you know the the key is that you can't look at it as the free money store. It's it's a it's a real job to to set up Kickstarter, and um, and and it's really like he says. You know, a lot of people when they hear about crowdfunding, their focus is on the funding when it should be on the crowd, and Obviously, like uh, Bob and I are, are are very interactive with our audience and cat. Like all of us, really, the the fact that anyone gives a shit about some some goofwad crap, you know, like Astaroth. I'm I'm we shot that in my living room. I'm staring at the corner where Astaroth appeared right now. <laughs> um, you know, like the fact that any that 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 you know that we're that we're getting you know whatever thousands of views or whatever on that. Like it, it just kind of boggles my mind. Even after doing stuff all these years. You know, to me, at heart, I'm still a horror fan. Like, that's where I come from. That's what I, I like. I, I'm more comfortable on the fan side than on the creator side. And uh, and so, to me, it's, like, it, it's more just about, like, talking to other people who are fans of this stuff. To me, like, that, I, I get off on, on being able to just 
meet people, you know, honestly, like yourselves who, who are just into this stuff. Cause it's, cause you're me. We're the, we all did the same shit, you know? And, uh, so, so to me, uh, that I'm more comfortable engaging the audience. Um, but I, I also like, I, I just don't know, do we have a large enough foundation right now? Like if, if theoretically we were, and again, this is a made up number, but let's pretend I was trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars for season two. Uh, could we do it? I don't know. You know, uh, if I raised five thousand dollars, that's still five thousand dollars. Then we had more than we had for the first season. So, um, so I, I, I don't, I don't even like having never run a crowdfunding campaign before. I've, I've worked on stuff that, like, I directed this short film about a year ago. That was they raised twelve thousand dollars on Kickstarter. I actually saw one of the actors today. We're like finishing it up. It was loaded with visual effects, and. Um, and uh, I remember when I met with them, they were like, yeah, we're looking to do a Kickstarter campaign, raise maybe $10,000. And I'm like, okay, well, if you can raise $10,000, which you won't, I'll be happy to direct this. And, uh, and then they raised like $2,500 the first day. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm directing this. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't really know what the, what the secret is. I'm, I'm trying to, I, I don't know, I, I probably should just sit down and lay out like everything that I think should happen. In it, but again, you know, luckily we want to. I would be, you know, honestly, if we had a, a Kickstarter campaign that flopped, but we got to talk to a shit ton of fucking horror fans, that would be fine with me. Honestly, I'd be okay with that. Anyway, good mantra. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking to us. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, good luck with your future endeavors. We will need it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Because I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small Well, that was a lovely interview. Quite lovely. Uh, like we said, pretty lengthy in time, but... It was fun. Yeah. And uh, cool to talk to. Not that we did a lot of talking, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, go check out Ben and check out 20 Seconds to Live. Um, get familiar with his work. Um, so, I guess now we do our reviews. That's usually what we do. Let's do it. So I assume you've found time to squeeze in these movies, right? I, I watched them both last night. That must have been fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and then my girlfriend came into the room and it was like, you haven't done anything! <laughs> you should have just been like, woman, and raised your hand. And then she would call on me like a classroom. No, 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 not rape. Not rape. <laughs> Never mind. You say rape? No. <laughs> What? What? Shut up. What are we going to do first? Uh, let's do The Curse of Downers Grove. Big shout out to all our seniors at Downers Grove High School. Don't get caught up in a curse. <laughs> Mom, the curse is complete BS. We'll be fine. Ever since 04, seniors died right before graduation. 05, Nina drowned in the quarry. 
2009, ripped in half by the train. Someone we know is gonna die. See you guys tomorrow. Maybe you won't. Not funny, Chrissy. We were there, Chrissy. We saw it. Will you be here when I get back? It makes you feel safe. Maybe there is a curse. Do you think the curse may be on one of us? Get out of there! It's not safe! Get off of me! Please let this all be a bad dream. You're not a very nice girl. There's no curse. That's reality. Get out of your head. And deal. I'm scared now. Stop it. All right, Curse of Downers Grove uh, is a movie that was released very recently. Um, believe it premiered at some festival. I don't recall exactly. Which. I want to say it was TIFF, but I'm not entirely positive on that. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, um, this was written, or sorry, is directed by Derek Martini. Derek Martini! <laughs> um, but it was co-written. Well, I don't know. I'm seeing here that it was solely written. Maybe he... Anyway, regardless, Brett Easton Ellis wrote this. Um... Those of you that don't know that name by heart might recognize it from things like, oh, American Psycho and Less Than Zero and Rules of Attraction and all those awesome books. Yeah. Um, We've had kind of a, a Brett Easton Ellis week. Yes, we have. I, I don't know if, if it's aired yet by the time this goes up. I don't know when you're planning on putting it out. I'll probably do like next Friday. Like... Well, uh, that'll be uh, a week from tomorrow. Two, two days from the time you're hearing this. Okay, so expect a Brett Easton Ellis uh, flavored surprise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> um. Anyway, Curse of Downers Grove, written by Brett Easton Ellis. Um, it's a film that wasn't at all what I was expecting. Yeah, I remember you texted me, and you were like, that was not what I expected. And then I watched it, and the first thing I thought was, wow, that was not what I was expecting. Right. Like, the whole trailer is, uh, there's this town called Downers Grove, and there's a curse, and the curse causes one high school senior to die the week before graduation every year. Right. But in the grand scheme of things, that is a very small part of the story. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, you really just said basically the entire plot, I guess. Um, I mean, the, the movie focuses on a girl named Chrissy um, and her her best friend, uh, name help me, Tracy, um, and her brother, and later on her boyfriend. Um, and really like Chrissy, like the entire town believes in this curse 
except for Chrissy. She's also seems very atheistic. Is that a word? I don't think so, but... Well, she's kind of an atheist. She has... Well, I mean, is, I don't know. Would it be fair to call her an atheist? Agnostic, maybe? Agnostic would probably be more accurate. Yeah, because she is very doubtful, but not convinced about the <clears throat> existence of God. Yeah, well, her dad was a meth addict that ran away, and that, that seemed to kind of jade her. Seemed that way, yeah. Um, but every, like I said, everybody else in this town is just, well, kids anyway. Uh, parents seem to think, think it's kind of bunk, but, um, yeah, all the kids, you know, the seniors especially, like, believe this curse is real because without fail for however many years, a senior has died four days before graduation. I think it's, it's within a week. I don't think it's four days every time. Oh, okay. Maybe that's the case. Um, regardless, you know, Chrissy, she basically, um, is convinced this isn't real, but like there are things that it seems like throughout the movie, she's constantly being con- like, like concerned that it, maybe it is real. Yeah. But it's all internal. She won't tell anybody that because she's so. Well, cause she thinks it's her. Right. That's the only reason she thinks it's real is because she thinks that it's it's applying to her. Right. Um, but I mean, like I said, the, the, the curse is actually such a small part of this movie because the movie is actually mostly about um, Chrissy and this guy, Chuck, right? Yeah. Um, and they – Chrissy goes to this party and Chuck is there and some, some not-so-nice things happen between them. Attempted rape. That's that's the not nice thing. Yeah, most people would say that's not very nice. That's not nice at all. You shouldn't do that. Um, she, you shouldn't do attempted rape. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is him to her. In case we need to clarify, she, she doesn't try to rape him. No. Uh, and then she pokes him in the eye, and then the rest of the movie is like him causing trouble in her life. Yeah, dudes. I mean, he's 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 like the star quarterback of the college team. Is um, it the college team? I thought it was the rival high school. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Because yeah, okay, that that's that sounds more better. <laughs> <laughs> he said more better. Uh, Mo better butter. <laughs> please, baby, baby, please, please, please. But anyway, yeah, he's he's a star quarterback. It seems like everybody in town knows who he is. Yeah. Um, and randomly, Tom Arnold just beats the shit out of him. Right. Tom it, Arnold just shows up and beats him up at times and then just leaves again. Yeah. I think he plays himself, too, right? <laughs> oh, fucking Tom Arnold, not again! Yeah, you know Chuck's father, Tom Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's, who plays a cop. I mean, really? <laughs> Tom Arnold. Anyway, um, so yeah, Chuck, but he's 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 fucked up in the head. I mean, he he he's he's a roid head and does a lot of fucking blow. Yeah, a <laughs> lot of blow. Um, him and fucking Richie Gecko just hang out and do blow. Richie Gecko. Yeah. Zane, whatever. This guy that played Guy. What's Richie Zane Ge- Holtz? He plays Richie Gecko on From Dust Till Dawn. That's why I recognized him. Okay. 
There it is. <laughs> yeah, man. You got it. <laughs> um, anyway, so because of his um, less than satisfying sexual encounter. Uh, <laughs> sure, let's call it that. <laughs> he, um, he becomes obsessed with Chrissy and... Um, he's he's not outwardly threatening. No, he's very coy. He's just it. creepy. Yeah. Like um, at one point, he he comes to her school and she's like, "What do you want?" And he's like, "Hmm, what do I want?" And then he like comes back later and he's like, "I've been thinking about that question you asked me." She's like, "What the fuck are you talking what about?" What fucking he's question? Like, you know what I want? I don't give a fuck what you want. Um. So yeah, I mean. The, the the title and you know a lot of like synopses um, that you might and even read. the trailer the trailer yeah um, lead you to believe this is like some supernatural movie and it's really not yeah like at there all. there are some pseudo supernatural moments in like her dreams and stuff yeah um, but I mean that's just like really weird visuals and happenings and if you've ever read uh, Easton Ellis's books. Um, You'll know that those are those are commonplace. That's, True, that's yeah. just his style, um, just to design these really weird, surreal, um, like happenings. And so, um, that's really all that was as far as it ty- tying into the uh, the plot. It really didn't. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, hey, 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 what what did you think? Um. I kept waiting for the curse to become something bigger, mm-hmm. like a bigger part of the story. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. There wasn't really a lot of story. Like there wasn't a lot of progression. Yeah. And I felt like the end could have gone one of two ways and it def- it went one of those ways. Yeah. There's a certain point at the ending where – it. Don't give away anything. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to. Um, where you th- think there's basically a point where things are being said to where it gives the ending away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, in, in a sense, it kind of spoils itself. <laughs> I mean, unless you're really fucking dense. <laughs> I mean, it. it's not a major twist if you pay attention. But at the same time, like, if if you don't really know what you're looking for, it could be a twist, I suppose. I suppose so. Um, I mean, I don't want to say I saw it coming. Like I said, I saw two different scenarios and one of them did play out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't see it coming, but I wasn't shocked. Like I'm like, oh man, I never expected that to happen. That, like you said, I mean, it was it was a possible scenario, something yeah. that had crossed my mind. But the didn't. way that it happened, I didn't necessarily see how, uh I didn't see coming. That seemed kind of fudged to me. It it just seemed kind of like really quick. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kept waiting to see if it like was going to play out the way I thought it would. Or not necessarily the way I thought it would. Just 
I don't, I don't, I'm going to keep saying stuff and slowly give away the plot so, yeah. or the ending. Um, so maybe I'll just stop. Um, how would you compare this to some other? I mean, obviously this was direct, like made for film, like written for film, but you know, not a novelized fashion. But how would you rate this as in comparison with um, Ellis's other work? Uh, I feel like it's a little. Uh, I, I'm. I find myself wanting to say childish, but that's not the word I want. But more geared towards a younger crowd. More geared towards the like high school, college age crowd, as opposed to something like American Psycho that seems more geared towards late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, you think of something like Rules of Attraction or Less Than Zero. It's definitely, I mean, like the the subject matter is definitely like college age, you know, just out of high school. So true. But I don't know. There's just this feels like the same, uh, the same vein as like I know what you did last summer. Yeah, I guess I could see that. It's I mean, that kind of teen scream. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Kind of genre. Because I, I mean, even like, well, Rules of Attraction wasn't really a horror movie. No. Um, but I don't know. This doesn't even really feel like a horror movie. It presents itself as one. With with the whole curse thing and like you said, having a supernatural element, but really, the movie itself is more just about just this relationship, not relationship really, but I mean this relationship between these two people that you know goes sour, and then he's just kind of stalking her and being creepy, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of thought this like as subject matter. Um, it seemed to be right up Ellis's alley for me. Um, maybe a little different in the in in the context, um, but I mean, like you said, this is not a horror in the typical sense. It's definitely a, th- a thriller, if anything. Or you mean it, it is a thriller? I mean, it's, it's not like a blood and guts horror, right? Um. Who who was the kid who played her brother? Why did he look so familiar? I don't know. For some reason, the IMDb for this movie is like horribly uh, like it doesn't have character names on any of the actors. Well, that's nice. Neither is Wikipedia. Actually, I mean, there's a lot of people. Apparently, hasn't it? Obviously, hasn't been updated because a lot of people are still as a TBA. Yeah. Oh, he was on Eight Simple Rules. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's totally what I recognize him from. Well, all right. Um, what did you think of the cast? Uh, you know, uh, what, what's her name? Bella Heathcote. When when she was like acting, I thought she was fine, but the voiceover work I felt was just like wooden, monotonous. And and she has the voice of a forty year old woman. Yeah, it, it that was not something I when she first opened her mouth, I didn't expect that. So she's got this. You know who she reminded me of was um, uh, oh shit, what's her name? Uh, Alexis Bledel. 
She kind of had that same, like, childish look to her. Okay. I mean, just like, you know, just not fat, but like kind of chubby cheeks and like big, huge eyes. Yeah. That's, you know, like kind of the same look. Um, so when she started talking and had a much older voice, that was a shock. Um, do you think she carried the, the lead role? I thought she did all right. Yeah. Did you not? I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of Lucas Till. The guy that played Bobby. Yeah, he was a little hammy. Yeah. And the guy that played Chuck was a little over the top at times. Yeah, he he had a an aura about him, though, that was, like, even though he was, you know, he was supposed to be, like, this stud football player um, and, uh, you know, handsome guy, and he just, he still was such a creep. Yeah. I mean, he did that well. Um, it kind of reminded, I mean, this, this whole movie actually kind of reminded me of uh, um, Fear. Is that, what I'm, is that the right movie? Yeah, that one. Mark with Marky Mark. Yeah, that was like his first role. Was it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, other than you know Calvin Klein ads, sure, and the Good Vibrations video. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of like the the effects? Like there wasn't a lot of gore in it, but there was there was some. And I, th- I thought that the stuff that was there was accomplished well. Um. Well, I mean, like you know, they, they, she like she said gouged out Chuck's eye. Mm-hmm. That was pretty grim. Like when he's he's like trying to clean himself up in the mirror. Was yeah. he was he pushing his eye back in? I think he was trying to open it up. Okay, I could not tell what was going on because he kept like just flicking the. The rag that he had, and then just like he would wipe a little bit, and he'd like flick the rag again, and then he was like poking at it. Like it looked to me like he was pushing his eye back in. No, I don't think so. Okay, because um, that would have been gruesome. <laughs> Either way, it was gross. Because I mean, like you know, a, a, a smartly placed squish noise can just do so much. <laughs> um, and that was definitely gross. What about like the kid that fell off the thing? Kid that fell. Off. Oh, right. That was pretty grim. I mean, not a lot to it, but... Right, that was the thing about the effects. They were, they didn't really, like, show a lot, but that, that almost made it, like, more gruesome. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, a lot of, like, you know, brains falling out of somebody's head or something, but it was just... Yeah. Like you said, like, a well-placed, like, you know, cracking noise and then just a lot and a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean... In, in a sense, that was more realistic than just having his fucking head just splattered Explode. all over. Because, I mean... You know, fiery ball of Michael Bay. But, I mean, heads don't just explode like don't that. just pop. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, we have a skull to prevent that from happening. <clears throat> yeah. Um... But yeah, I mean, like obviously, I've said many times before, I'm a, a gore hound. But I, th- I think 
any more than was already in this would have been too much for it wouldn't have fit with the yeah yeah, with the movie um so yeah i also felt some of the the fight choreography was not that great yeah and it was it was really dark so which which made me kind of think that they knew it wasn't that great so they were trying to hide it (laughs) yeah i mean you know bobby gets into a couple fights and little some scuffs yeah and you know He's fighting like it's a fucking boxing match, and it's like, I'm sorry, people don't fight like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, real life fighting is very similar to like UFC. Like, you get a few good punches in, and then eventually you're on the ground rolling around and trying to get a few good hits in. Right. So. And then but, you get up and you dust yourself off, and you're like, You cool? <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm cool. All right, yeah, I'm cool. Don't come around here no more. Yep. That's how it goes. That's what I do when homies be stepping on my turf. Right. (laughs) Uh, That sounds so white. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I think that's kind of all for me on this one. Unless you have anything to add. Ah, blah, 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 blah. No, not really. Okay. So what's what's your rating? Um, but uh, I think I, I may have looked at this differently if the the marketing had been done differently. If the marketing didn't make me think one thing, make me expect one movie, and then have me watch another one. Yeah, I, I may have viewed this differently. Uh, as is, I think I'm. I'm gonna go just just a well. I'll, I'll just go five. I'll go right down the middle. Okay. Because I mean, for what it was, it was engaging enough. Um, you know, it kept kept you wondering. Because that's the thing about the curse is that you you keep expecting it to become something more, so you keep being interested in the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll, I'll give it a five. Okay. Um, I. Uh yeah, like you, I mean, I felt like I was kind of duped into watching it just based on deceptive marketing. Like, if if we had – if this movie was marketed as how it is, I don't think we would have reviewed this on the on the podcast. Probably not. But it seems like it's been happening a lot lately as we think that these thriller movies are going to be a little bit more, like, just direct horror. Yeah. Um but I don't know. Maybe that's just a sign of the times. Maybe the lines are blurring. Um, but yeah, like you, I mean, I just you know take it for what it is. Um, you know, I watched the movie, so I should gauge the movie on itself, not necessarily the marketing. Um, and all in all, I thought it was done pretty well. I mean, um, I mean, you had a cast of you know a bunch of young people that could you know act pretty well. Um. You know, like you said, it kept you engaged um, with, you know, an interesting uh, story that kind of, like like you said, it kept you guessing. And, um, I mean, it's like at a certain point in the movie, you know, you're, you're kind of figuring out, like you, you sidestep the whole curse element of it and you just start wondering, okay, well, is 
Chuck going to kill Chrissy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's you're the, almost the entire movie you're left guessing that. Um, and, uh, you know, and can her friends and family predict her? Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, so I thought it was pretty good, I mean, it, it, for what it was. Um, and I think I'll probably give it a six. All right. Yeah. Um, looking over our, our past reviews here, and I'm thinking... Take out the two reviews for the haunted houses, and we just reviewed our 100th movie. I'll be goddamned. Hey! Milestone, hey! So, uh, number 101 will be Lost After Dark. The year was 1984. What are you doing out here? The dance is inside. And these kids... Yes! yes. Here we are! Let us As if. ...were ready to party. They went AWOL. But then, this field trip... ...took a dark turn. We're out of gas. No one lives there. Let's dump. Split up and look around. Must have been a slaughterhouse. This place is so gross. Hey, come on. Is that made from people? I think I heard about this place. You guys heard of the Jones? They were cannibals. Somebody help us! It's just a story to scare kids. <laughs> what was that? Sound like somebody screaming. Should we go check it out? Hey, yeah, you go. I'm just going to find my glass. I'll be right behind you. Guys, where's Toby? Oh, God. <laughs> the killer's using Toby as bait. Come on, hey, man. Go, go. What the hell happened out there? We need to start figuring out a way to get out of here alive. Go, go. We have to go back to the bus. Uh. It's okay to be afraid of the dark. Just don't get... We gotta get out of here! Lost after dark. And you thought the 80s were dead. Okay, so Lost After Dark is a slasher movie set in 1984. And they really want to make sure that you understand that this movie takes place in 1984. Right? Like, like the 80s is fucking punching you in the face in every, well, not, I won't say every scene of this movie, but like the first 10, 15 minutes, just look at this 80s reference. Yeah, I'm surprised there's not like people wearing fucking ALF t-shirts and like <laughs> those sunglasses that's like two random shapes. <laughs> like one's a triangle and one's an oval or something. And then it's like black and white checkered print on one side and neon green on the other. Yeah, and people wearing fucking... Rainbow suspenders. specific. Why did I do that? I don't know. Because you're an asshole. <laughs> uh, be wearing rainbow suspenders and saying Nanu Nanu. Yeah. That whole thing. 
yeah. Uh, entire, well, what seemed like an entirely original soundtrack made up of fake 80s music. Right. Not, not like, like 80s ballads or anything. It was like 80s horror Well, it, it was score. like, it was like, like Europop and New Wave. Yeah. I guess that's true. I mean, like, like, well, there's a scene where they're riding on a bus and they're listening to music on a boombox. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's such generic fake new wave in, in Europop music and hip hop and hip hop. Yeah. Because there is a token black guy there is with an Afro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then they, they even go to their school dance and there's a giant banner that says class of 84. Right. Yeah, this it's it. It doesn't just like give you a feel of the '80s. It like Tony said, it, it kicks you in the face with '80s. It's like the '80s said, "Hey, come here," and went on your face. Threw up in your mouth, <laughs> or or in your mouth, whatever. Well, I mean, your mouth is on your face, or in your face. It's like a hole in your face. <laughs> in your face. <laughs> um, Extreme in your face action. Right. That whole thing. I did that. So this group of kids go to the dance, end up leaving the dance, stealing a school bus, and going to uh, this girl whose name is Lori, her parents' cabin. And they're going to get... They're going to... Lori, I don't think that's right. Adrian. Adrian. That's the one. Lori is a different person. That's not that person that I'm talking about. Ignore, ignore Lori. She's she not doesn't real. matter. She dies. <laughs> Spoiler. Sorry. Notice. Did, did you pick up up on the? Um, up, did you pick up up on the? Uh, pick it up up up. The horror references and the names. Adrian, Lori. I got that one. Seems pretty obvious right from the beginning. Adrian. Adrian King. Oh, what's well, weird because Lori is a character and Adrian King is. A- yeah, but then there's Toby. Toby, Toby Hooper with me. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, Sean, Wesley. Yeah, those could be anybody, I guess. But and Jenny. Uh yeah. They steal a bus and they go to this cabin. They're gonna do shots and get crazy. Do shots and get crazy. But of course. Trouble strikes. Trouble. Here comes trouble. What are you going to do? <laughs> the bus has two. I've spilled my second glass of water. You're cut off. Fuck. So the bus runs out of gas, and in their search to find more, they come across the house of Junior Jode, a the last of a family of cannibals... And because what town doesn't have a family of cannibals? Sure. Uh, and then from there, it's it's just typical slasher fare. And you know, I I know we've reviewed a couple movies where we say you know oh, from there it's just typical slasher fare, and that might make it sound like a negative. But I fucking love slasher movies, so that's not yeah. a negative at all. And it's most of the time if you're going to make a slasher movie, you don't need to change up the formula. No. The formula works. Yeah, that's why they've done it. Like that's why they've made thirteen fucking Friday the Thirteenth movies. Right. 
Uh, yeah. Well, they keep trying to change the formula. Fuck you, Michael Bay. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is one of those movies that follows the formula to a T. It knows what it's doing. It has no qualms about it. It doesn't take itself too seriously. This movie is extremely self-aware. Yes. Yeah, and it has absolutely no is- issue with being fucking cornball and predictable because, you know what, that's what a fucking slasher movie is. Yeah. I will say they they give you a little bit of a twist, but it happens fairly early in that, like, yeah. I, I don't know. If, if it, I think it would be a spoiler to say, so I don't think I should say it. No, no, don't. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, then, you know, overall the movie is fairly by the numbers – Although there, there, there is at least one, possibly more times I can think of where I thought one thing was going to happen and then it didn't. Uh, okay. Like at one point, I thought a character was going to like turn out to be a bad guy, but then they didn't. You mean like you thought they were going to be the killer? Not the killer, but like I thought they were going to be like. Turns out I'm a Jode. <laughs> Boy. Uh- I know what you did last, or I still know what you did last summer. Yeah, kind of. But just you know, reveal that they were, they were part of the Jode family too, and they lured everyone here <laughs> to feed to Junior. Um. So getting into the nitty gritty, so let's start with Junior Jode. Uh, what 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 did you think of him as a killer? Um, pretty simple in design. Yeah, he's he's just this like hermit hillbilly guy he's just a guy with a huge obviously fake beard oh yeah which was it was it supposed to look fake i i don't know i mean obviously this was a probably a fucking micro budget project i mean their big name was robert patrick right (laughs) um so you know i imagine they probably didn't have a whole lot to put into things like fake beards of course, why they didn't just find the guy with a fake or the real beard? Right. I, don't, I don't know. Just get fucking Luke Harper to play him. Luke Harper. He's a wrestler. I don't know the guy. He has a big beard. He's part of the Wyatt family. Oh. Well, then he would have been perfect. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, like, like, like you said, he's just this simple hermit character that just happens to be a cannibal, um, and. Uh, it's kind of like almost seemingly indestructible, and almost seems supernatural to an effect to a to a degree. That's a, a slasher trope, though. I mean, sure, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that, that again, that adds into the whole thing where this is paying homage to um a, a lot of those slasher movies of of old. Yeah, true. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the big thing in, in slasher movies usually is to have your killer have a mask, and he he, he doesn't. No. Which kind of makes me wonder, like, if, if the beard was supposed to be fake to kind of serve as a mask. But you would think they would make a, a note of that at some point. If that was the case, they would, you know, have somebody yank it off or something. Yeah. And what? then you find out it's Mr. Jenkins that runs the amusement park. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what, what about his weapon? Um, well, I mean, you know, he used a handful of different implements. Sure. He had a, a bevy. 
Yeah, I mean, it was this abandoned farmhouse, so, you know, there's a, a, a number of things he, use, he could use. Um, but as far as, like, it was like a big... It kind of looked like a giant cleaver. A little bit, yeah. I don't know. It was, what, like, longer than a normal cleaver. Yeah, it, 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 it was shaped like a cleaver, but it was about, I'd say, almost almost about the length of, like, a machete. Yeah, pretty um, close. Did it, and did it have a serrated edge at one point? It, see, that that was what I was wearing because it almost looked like a saw. Yeah, it looked like it was like smooth for like three quarters of it and then like a serrated edge for the rest of it. Yeah, I don't, I couldn't really tell. I don't really know if such a thing exists in the world. Yeah, or, yeah I mean, if it does, I mean, I don't know what its purpose what, is. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, as far, as far as his like overall design, I mean, it was fine. It was I mean, effective. Yeah. I mean, you didn't really need much else than that. And, you know, something that we've been trying to figure out lately is, uh, you know, how do you, how do you create an icon? Yeah. Um, so as far as that goes, what did you think of the kids? Uh, very, not, not generic, but like. Like exactly what you'd expect from a movie like this. I mean, you've got the main girl, you've got the jock, you've got the the preppy couple. Yeah, who you've got are, the, the the token black guy. Mm-hmm. And you've got like the 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 fat kid. Yeah, and the goth girl. And yeah, the 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 goth girl or the the rebel, whatever you want to call right. it. Right. Um. So yeah, very very tropish. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um. But, I mean, it was designed that way. It was obvious. Yeah, that's the thing about this movie is it's like while everything is very, very tropish and very generic in a way, it's done deliberately. It's not just like, oh, this is a paint-by-numbers slasher flick, whatever, cookie-cutter, get it out there. It's it's done with love. It's 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 someone's love letter to the slasher genre. Yeah, it, it's in that fashion, it's similar to, like, Hatchet. Yeah. I mean, Hatchet was done by a slasher movie fan for slasher movie fans. But, I mean, there's obviously still, like, a a population of people that will bitch about it and, you know, find problems with it. But it's like those are the people that are just taking it way too fucking seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Kessner and Bo Ransdell are the writers, and Ian Kessner is the director. I don't know them. I don't either, but I'm just saying, it, like I was saying, it's someone's love letter to the slasher genre. That's that's who. Right. Um, so, yeah. what? I guess overall, what, what are your thoughts? Overall, I, I thought it was, I mean, I keep retreading whatever he said, but I mean, it was done very well. Uh, for what it was, this is not an award winner by any means, mm-hmm. but I mean, neither were the, the, some of the greatest slasher movies of our time. I mean, like think of like, like Friday the 13th or, or nightmare or Texas chainsaw. Uh, I think you probably compare this most to Texas chainsaw. I think. Mm, yeah, I suppose I, I would say Texas chainsaw or Friday the 13th. Like Friday three, three four, 
some some of the ones more in the middle. Sure. Before they got all weird. <laughs> um. But I mean, yeah, it had, it had all the right tropes and in all the right places. Um, it hit Tony's special spot. It did. Um, now, I mean, was this my favorite slasher movie? Yes. Uh, of course not. Oh. Um, that would be silly. But I, I really have no fundamental issues with this. Um, I thought it was done pretty well. So yeah. Any any key scenes stick out in your mind? Um uh, So no then. <laughs> well, I mean not not immediately. I'm sure there were there were scenes that I appreciated, but none of them come immediately to mind. The very very end I thought seemed a little just tacked on. And it didn't seem like thoroughly flushed out. In a way, it seemed like kind of a. I would have liked to have seen that that scene get explained a little more, even just visually. Like they could have done more to explain exactly what had happened there. I think it was pretty self-explanatory. I think your mom's self-explanatory. You think need everything spelled out for you? Huh? Um, no, I mean, I, I thought the ending was fine. I thought it was kind of a an homage to uh, a Friday the Thirteenth a little bit. I mean, it definitely was. It was it was one of those you know final scare kind of moments. Yeah, that uh, most slashers have, where you think everything is okay, and then it turns out you're wrong. Right. Um. But yeah. Like I said, I, I mean, no real issues with it. I thought everybody played their part well. Um, there was nobody that seemed mis- miscast. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, so, yeah. um, I would say that this, this is a slasher movie for slasher fans. Yeah. N- nobody else would like this. Yeah, this isn't this isn't going to like make new slasher fans. No. This is clearly somebody's homage. This is a, a love letter to the genre, and it, it was made for people who already love the genre to get the tropes, to get the references, and to, to just – it's it's just fun. Like it's it's not a movie that you have to think a lot about. It's not something that's going to you know mess with your mind. It's just a fun movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's nobody – there's nothing you have to f- figure out. I mean, you know who the killer is. Um, there's no big hidden secret that you're waiting to be, un- you know, be revealed. Um, it's just a fucking slasher movie. I mean, people die, and that's 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 it. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, not every movie has to be a fucking art project. So numbers, what are you thinking? Uh, well, I mean, like I said, I really, I really liked this for what it was. I mean, uh, it, it was, it was exactly what I want out of a slasher movie. You know, people that are remaking Friday, people that are eventually going to remake Nightmare, and I'm sure Texas Chainsaw is going to get one eventually soon. Um, 
all of them could take a few cues from this, I think, as far as how a modern-day slasher needs to be made. Um, okay, well, we're sitting here filleting the movie a lot. Do you have any qualms? Um, well, I mean, the effects weren't that great. But again, low budget, so I can't fault them too much. Yeah, I I thought that the the eighties thing was a little too heavy handed. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, outside of the school, like because you know the school starts or the, sorry the the movie starts, um, everybody's coming for prom or some kind some of dance, dance, yeah, at the school, um, and that's really when you're just getting berated with the eighties. But outside of the school, there's, like, nothing. Yeah, it's really, like, the first act is very, like, just so you know, this is 1984. Yeah. But then it's it's not really mentioned again in, this, in the second and third act. Yeah, I mean, you got fucking um, the vice principal, played by Robert Patrick. Uh, he's vice principal T-1000. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he drives an asshole Camaro, um, and he's, like, listening to... Disco, um, and you know all, all the cars are older, you know, eighties, seventies models. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, like I said, aside from that, once once you once the kids get into the house, you really wouldn't even know what decade this was. True. Um, I mean, you know, like, well, the, but that kind of makes it stand out even more in the first act. Yeah, yeah, it really kind of puts an exclamation point on it. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the kids, I mean, they're they're kind of dressed like they're in the 80s. Especially, um, is it Lori? No, that's not. Uh, shit, who's the, the preppy girl? That was Lori. Was that Lori? Are you sure? I thought her no, name started with sure. B. I don't know. Whatever. Um, she, uh, she, like, kind of. Like screamed eighties, Heather. Thank you. Um, she kind of screamed eighties just based on what she was wearing and how her hair was done. But like the other two girl or the other three girls, you wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, well, except for uh, the the metal chick or Marilyn. Marilyn, thank you. Um, she. Uh, Oh, there's another reference. What's that one? Marilyn Burns. Hmm. Um, yeah, she was wearing like a leather jacket and a T-Rex shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I kept trying to read her shirt and I was like, fucking T-Rex? <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah, I can agree with you. Like the the over the top '80s was a little heavy handed, and um, I don't know. All right, some number. Right, um, I think we give it a seven. I'm comfortable with that. Me too. You, you're comfortable with my seven, or I'm comfortable with my own seven. Ah, you don't have seven. Who are you kidding? <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap up our reviews. Uh, we always end with a segment that we call Plot Holes, where we take the plot of a famous movie, we remove a bunch of words, and we replace them Mad Lib style. Tony, give me an adjective. 
Hold your horses. No. Uh, sebaceous. What the fuck? <laughs> How do you spell that? S-E-B-A-C-E-O-U-S. What does that mean? It's like pus-filled. hey <laughs> Plural noun. Uh, dem titties. Uh, it's going to be like these nuts where it just doesn't work. I don't know. Past tense verb. Farted. <laughs> Keep it simple. Plural noun. Uh, apple bottom jeans. <laughs> Boots, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, another plural noun. <laughs> Boots with the fur. Or what the fuck. <laughs> Whatever you prefer. Whatever's clever. <laughs> Adjective. Hangry. Hangry. Which is apparently in the Oxford Dictionary now. Oh, God. So yeah. is kayfabe. <sighs> Past tense verb. Oh, you know what else is? Bruh. Oh, God. <laughs> past tense verb. Uh, fondled. And another past tense verb. Fingered. <laughs> Papa. <laughs> verb, verb. <laughs> All right. So now we discover what exactly Tony has done to the movie Sinister. <laughs> as soon as the website loads. You and your fucking website. Mm-hmm. A struggling true crime novelist stumbles into a sebaceous supernatural mystery that threatens them titties of his entire family <laughs> in this nightmarish horror yarn. Not them titties, damn it. It's dem titties. I said dem titties. Uh, what well, says the dem titties, so I fixed it. Oh. Uh. Uh, Ellison is seeking inspiration for his latest book when he moves his wife and children into a home where an entire family farted under gruesome circumstances. Terror soon hits closer to home, however, when the writer discovers a box of old apple-bottom jeans in the attic of his new house (laughs) and watches in horror as various boots with the fur being murdered flicker before his eyes. Now the deeper Ellison investigates the hangry case, the more he begins to fear he has fondled an ancient evil that won't rest until it has fingered his entire family. (laughs) So remember me telling you that I had like a fucking hell of a time trying to make this? No. Dick. Oh, wait, yes, yes. Okay, the reason being because in circumstances, in the middle of the word, is the word come. And it was like... If you want to use this word, please change your title to adult or your subject to adult <laughs> because of the word circumstances. So I changed it to adult and it said the same fucking thing. God damn it. So the only way I could get it to work is to change circumstances to be spelled with a K. Wait, circumstances? Cur- no, circumstances. Ah, Idiot. You said spell with a K. That wouldn't fix the word come in the middle of it. Well, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get the fuck out of here. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, next episode, we're watching. Oh, shit. I'm not watching Taylor, shit. Yeah, Taylor's not going to be here. Uh, I'm going to have a special guest host with me. Um, hopefully you enjoy it. Um but we are going to be watching Sinister 2, unfortunately. Um, and... Blood-sucking bastards. Thank you. <laughs> You're not even going to be here. <laughs> um, 
And then, uh, yeah, Taylor will be gone for that episode, returning on the next one. Yep. Um, be sure to check out Drunken Cinema in a couple days. Um, and uh, that'll be fun. Oh, uh, big oh, yeah. news. Make, uh, make sure you tell them about this. Yeah. Um, guys, if you are in the general Seattle area um, on September 5th, which is a Saturday, uh, we are hosting a very special event at the sh- um, Chateau Th- no, Chalet. Chalet Theater in Enumclaw, Washington. Taylor's <laughs> stomping grounds. Um, we're going to be watching Evil Dead 2 on the big screen at a very special event we are calling Drunken Cinema Live. Oh, was I supposed to get out on that? No. Was, oh, okay. It's, you made it seem like it's supposed to be a chorus. No, it's it's just we, we, we've we've uh, stylized it with all caps and exclamation points. So it's like almost live, sort of. But uh, if you're around, it's it's free admission. There is beer and wine available. Um, we're going to be watching Evil Dead Two on the screen. You're encouraged to get belligerent and yell at the screen. We certainly will be. Um, that fucking deer head. Deerhead, yeah. Oh, that deerhead. Uh, <laughs> where the fuck did that come from? Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun, guys. So if you're in the area, please come check it out. We could use uh, the support if we, we could fill up the theater. Um, we'll we'll do it again uh, at some point. So come check that out. September fifth. Um, there's an invite or there's an event on Facebook that you can find on our page, our Facebook page. So go check that out. Um. Yeah, hope to see you there, Taylor. Where can they find us? Uh, they can find our Facebook page that you were just discussing at facebook.com slash graveplotpodcast. We're also on Twitter at grave underscore plot. Uh, but of course, the easiest way to find us, there's links to all of those as well as links to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio at our website graveplotpodcast.com. Yes. Um. I feel like there's one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, I don't know what it is. Oh, well. All right, guys. Well, I will catch up with you on our next episode in a couple weeks. I will not. Yep. You should still listen, though. Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Sure. Hopefully. It'll be okay. Right? It'll be fine. I mean, you know, we'll get by. Yeah. We've had bad episodes before. Whatever. Um, so, until then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all just a little dead inside. Fear I find